Thank you very much, Simon. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio with your breakfast show here until nine o'clock this morning. It's Olympic fever, of course, as you might expect. We might be discussing the Olympics at some point in the next few hours. I've got really sore, I've got to say it, got really sore buttocks. Yeah, I have. And I think I've come out in sympathy for all of the cyclists yesterday. It feels like I've cycled about ten miles. I think that's how it works. Honestly, I woke up with such a sore bottom. I couldn't believe it. Trust me, I did no exercise yesterday, so it cannot be blamed on anything like that. Don't know why I felt the uh, need to share that with you, but uh, I I did. I I feel that we're we're bonding on on this, my last day uh, here at BBC Three Counties. I thought I ought to give you some personal information. Also, what are we talking about? Oh, yes. We're trying to find out your first ever memory. There's a story in the sun that several people... There's a condition where there are people who can remember every single day of their life. That sounds like hell to me. Sounds awful. I can barely remember what I did yesterday. If it hadn't have been my wife's birthday, it would be a blank. So they've got us talking about what is your first ever memory. I bet it's something quite weird and possibly a little bit dull. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Call in with your dull things. <laughs> And also, the Blur played uh, a tiny, tiny gig a couple of nights ago now um, uh, in Maid of Vale. And I was just reading a review of it online that said it was amazing. Oh, those guys are so fantastic. So what is the best gig, best performance, best concert that you have ever been to? I'll tell you mine later on. It may surprise you. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text, 3CR. Or, and, and this is what I'd rather do, it's the last day of me being here. So if you've been thinking, do you know what, I, I kind of want to phone in but I haven't had the time or I can't be bothered, now is the time to do it. 08459 455 555. Speak to you in a second. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this isn't the best gig I ever went to, but it's, it's up there in the top three, easily. Two of them are in the top three. It's the Monkees. We've had someone on Facebook already telling me the best gig they've ever been to. It's a corker. Saul Allen has written, best gig ever. Master of Rock in 1996. Hyde Park for the Prince's Trust. This is, this is a pretty good list. I was 20. Bob Dylan... Followed by The Who playing Quadrophenia, then Eric Clapton doing a classic set. It costs 30 quid. That's not bad, is it? I'm not so bothered about Clapton, or indeed Bob Dylan, but The Who, <laughs> the who for 30 quid. But I don't. We were talking the other week, weren't we, about acts that you don't get. Bob Dylan, I've never got, and I've worked at Bob Dylan. I've really, really worked to get Bob Dylan because so many people say, oh no, you've just, you've just not, you've got, you've, you know, you're not listening to the right stuff. I've listened to a lot of Bob Dylan many, many times at various stages in my life. Don't get it. He can't sing. Hey, listen, I don't want to gloat, but we got 15 medals. Huh? Huh? I say we. It's Team GB, but, you know, and I've literally put no effort into getting those medals, but I feel part of it, including five gold medals. Plenty of joy in the three counties uh, yesterday as Bedford's Etienne Stott and partner Tim Bailey won gold at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre in Hertfordshire. Fantastic. But on the same day, also disappointment for local athlete Victoria Pendleton. 
The cyclist from Stockfold and her partner Jess Varnish were disqualified from the women's cycling team sprint. It meant they missed out on the final against China and their chances for a gold medal. Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, was at Stockfold Foot Club yesterday where a crowd of people from her hometown had gathered to watch Victoria on the big screen. Here's how they reacted to the disqualification. We're so gutted, aren't we? We've been down here all afternoon, but at the end of the day, we'll be here to watch her again when she plays does in her next race. Really, really disappointed. Uh, I couldn't believe uh, like, some silly rule like that. Basic error, but... She's been training for years yeah. for this moment. She's done it before. Where did it go wrong? That's the question. I, I think I, well, what, what she said is she got thought about the motion of all the like the crowd, the home crowd, and that. Too excited. Yeah, and just took her off the ball. Very disappointed for her. They work. They train so hard. They must be devastated. It's, it's so sad. Lee, you were watching avidly, and you have been on Twitter ever since. What can you tell us about these disqualifications? Okay, Sophie. As I understand it, it's a bit like a relay race. You have to go so many metres before you can pass the baton. Now, what had happened with Victoria is they hadn't gone long enough. Her teammate slowed down slightly, and it meant she overtook. So if you think of it as if it's passing a baton, she hadn't gone far enough before she overtook her teammate accidentally. And that's an illegal move, unfortunately. But is it an easy mistake to make? Because it seemed... She seemed like she did fine when we were watching. Absolutely. I mean, she's going to be focused on speed and she's not going to notice that her her colleague just slows up that that couple of inches it's a it's a terrible mistake but it's not uncommon in cycling and it's just very sad it's happened to victoria today disappointing very disappointing now chris hoy excuse me sir chris hoy uh won medals yesterday but i was I, i didn't see a lot of the cycling yesterday it was my wife's birthday she would have objected but i was reading online and again, I, I would need an expert, or one of you, dear listener, to call in and clarify this. That one of his teammates, right, cycling for Team GB, who's German, right, if I've got this wrong, please pick me up on this. He's German, and doesn't speak English very well, but he's riding for Team GB. And he said that he deliberately took a dive so that Chris Hoy would win a gold. That he fell off his bike so the race would be restarted. And then, like, the Team GB cycling people came out and said, whoa, no, 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 he didn't mean that. His English isn't very good. It's not what he meant to do. I'll find the story, and I, and I shall read it to you. It was in the mail. It was in the mail online. Well, let's, I tell you what, we've got the papers here. Let's go through the papers, and maybe it'll pop up at some point. Let's do these, shall we? The Guardian. Um, Tears of Hoy. <laughs> oh, I fell for that. Well done. I got, I got suckered in there. Tears of Hoy. <laughs> Cap glorious day for Team GB. And, uh, oh, look, there is something else happening in the world. UN disarray on Syria as Anan quits over Mission Impossible. Not the movie. It's the fact that things over there are looking pretty bad and no one is listening to what he's saying. Uh, the Independent. It's raining medals. Um, and they also mention uh, Kofi Annan quitting as Syrian envoy. And they do a tiny thing on the front page, welfare blow for disabled. Disabled people will face back-to-work tests by the same company criticised for its inaccurate assessments of the jobless in another bitter blow for the vulnerable. Uh, the front page of the Times, if we go to the proper front page, it's um, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. I've forgotten her name. Wills and Kate? That's it, isn't it, Kate? I've forgotten already. Um, getting it on. They're getting it on on the front page of the Times. Like proper... Ooh. Hoy completes golden day for British sport. Uh, the Daily Express. <laughs> oh dear. Sell home to pay for care. <clears throat> the Daily Telegraph. Uh, it, his Royal Hoyness. <clears throat> the Daily Mirror. Tears of Hoy. 
the sun, medals ahoy. It's making me uncomfortable, all this. You just, you said I've been waiting for years. Uh, and the Daily Mail, uh, kiss of gold, hoy equals Redgrave with fifth Olympic triumph. Well, I'll try and find that story where the, 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 it's claimed that his teammates kind of said, oh yeah, no, I took a dive. And then kind of, well, well, well no, actually, I, did, I didn't mean that. But we are talking uh, this morning. Uh, about your, the best gig of all time that you've ever been to. The best concert, the best show, the best live experience that you have ever been a part of. 08459 455 555. It's prompted controversy in the studio. We're arguing about the merits or lack of of Bob Dylan. Is Bob Dylan any good? I like Lay Lady Lay. And that's it. And for a man that's probably recorded, I don't know, what, a couple of thousand songs? D- have only one that's half decent. Doesn't seem as a particularly good hit rate, does it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you can um, support Bob Dylan, uh, Mr Zimmerman himself, as he was, uh, and also tell us your favourite gig of all time. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's six fifteen on Friday, the third of August. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Agony and ecstasy for two Bedfordshire Olympians yesterday as Team GB won three more gold medals, including a fifth for cyclist Sir Chris Hoy. The agony came from Stockfold cyclist Victoria Pendleton, who was disqualified in the team sprint. Police in High Wycombe are continuing to urge the community to come forward with information after a man was assaulted in the early hours of Sunday morning. The 22-year-old man remains at the John Radcliffe Hospital in a critical condition after being found with head injuries. In sport, Milton Keynes Dons play their first home pre-season friendly this evening as they host Premier League side Norwich at Stadium NK. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few minutes with Chris Bell. And coming up, this morning a man from Bedford will today wake up an Olympic gold medalist. Our reporter brings us more. So I found the story about the cycling. And there are two things that strike me as odd. So Chris Hoy has one goal, and that's fantastic. But then page two of the Daily Mail, which is fast becoming my favourite newspaper. <laughs> Did Hoy's teammate crash deliberately? Questions were raised last night over Britain's spectacular cycling win after one of the team appeared to claim he had deliberately fallen off in one of the heats. The British team were allowed to restart the qualifier after Philip Hines crashed seconds into the race. He later helped propel Sir Chris Hoy and Jason Kenney to two world records and Olympic gold. Now, here we go. This is where it starts getting odd. The 19-year-old, born in Germany, seemed to suggest the crash was part of a deliberate ploy, saying... We were saying, if we have a bad start, we need to crash to get a restart. I just crashed. I did it on purpose to get a restart, just to have the fastest ride. I did it. So it was all planned, really. Now, that's a pretty much straight admission of naughty shenanigans. But then, like, the British Cycling Association come out and say, well, Heinz's comments were lost in translation from a man who began learning English only after moving to Manchester two years ago. Right, so there's two things here, right? How is this man riding for Team GB if he only learnt English two years ago? That strikes me as odd. There's the, the phrase that's been bandied around. I think Steve Ovette um, has been using a lot. I don't know if he, he coined it. The plastic Brit. It's the Zola Bud thing all over again. Do you remember Zola Bud? Some of you listening will. South African runner, ran barefoot. Um, we kind of bent the rules a bit and changed her passport in the 80s so that she could run for Britain in the Olympics. And then she was rubbish in the Olympics. And it was controversy and it was all a waste of time. Do you remember that? Well, th- th- this sounds odd that we've got a, a, a German-born uh, a, a member of Team GB who only learned English two years ago. And then for the for the, the cycling association to say his his uh, what he said uh, w- was lost in translation. It's a pretty straightforward admission, isn't it? I just crashed. I did it on purpose. 
I did it. So it was all planned, really. Huh? What do you make of that? It strikes me as very odd. I bet the Chinese uh, are going bonkers. After that, you know, they got kicked out of the badminton, and they were furious about that, and the questions being raised about Yi Xuan, the um, 16-year-old swimmer, who's been accused of, of all kinds of naughtiness, and it's been proven that she didn't take drugs, and that she is clean. And the Chinese are furious at the way they've been treated during the Olympics. How do you think they're going to feel if they see this? Now, I didn't see the race, uh, and I don't particularly understand this cycling around, this, uh, around the Pringle. I don't, I don't quite understand it. So if you do... Could you give me a call and explain to me? 08459 455 555. And after the upset of the badminton teams cheating, and we were furious about that, weren't we? We were discussing it on the show, and, oh, everybody was, oh, it's a disgrace. Oh, send them back. Disgrace. Kick them out. Should we allow this to happen? If this is true, it strikes me as equally as, as bad, if not more so, if it happened on British soil with a British team. And a German member of the British team. 08459 455 555. Time for the weather now with Chris Bell. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Chris, what have you got for us today, please, sir? Well, Ian, looking like another showery day coming up across the uh, the area with some thunder in them. And then we're likely to see thunderstorms again on a Sunday afternoon. So quite an unsettled weekend coming up. You'll definitely need the brolly with you if you're heading outside. Chris, may I bless you for using the word thunder twice? It's my, yeah. I love it when you say it. And also, I... I I fear I may have put too much... You stumbled a bit there, and I'm worried that I've put too much pressure <laughs> too much on you pressure now. Too much pressure on it, yeah. Just relax, just relax, uh, okay? Just, you know, for the next one... I get just... too excited about these thunderstorms, <laughs> you see? That's I get... the problem. <laughs> Chris, it's lovely to talk to you. I get... I love the way he says the word thunder in that accent. It, it does It excite. It does something to me. My heart melts ever so slightly. Oh eight four five nine, four double five five double five. The big news for three counties is that Bedford's Etienne Stott and partner Tim Bailey won gold at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre in Hertfordshire yesterday. Double victory for Team GB with Richard Hounslow and David Florence taking silver. That's fantastic. Brings our tally up to fifteen medals, including five gold. Here's our reporter, uh, Olympics reporter, excuse me, Luke Ashmead, speaking to the gold medal winners after their triumph yesterday. Tim Bailey and Etienne Stott. <laughs> Olympic champions. How does it feel to hear me say that? It's weird. Uh, you know, we didn't. You, you didn't dare hope that we could have been uh, Olympic champions this morning. We were so was nervous. This whole week has been so hard and so interesting, so strange. And you know, when you come down this morning, you just desperately want to do you know a good run to get in the final. You desperately want to do another good run in the final. Just try everything you can to make that happen, and well, lo and behold, here we are, and now, we, yeah, we're Olympic champions. I, I honestly can't believe it. I can't believe it. Tim, you nailed that that uh, that run at the end there, didn't you? Yeah, it was uh, funny, really. We didn't. We just wanted to do a, a decent run. You know, the gates here, the course is really hard. You couldn't like weren't we weren't trying to go, you know, particularly fast and try and win as such. We just so it was more about getting it clean than anything just, else. Well, just, just getting aggressive, going hard. Yeah, sort Racing. of like. But yeah, you start, yeah, you want to get all the gates, not make a massive mistake, and then you see if you can pick up pace along there. But um, yeah, I mean, all the way down the run, I was just thinking, oh yeah, this is going all right. And then it's like, right, keep on the next bit, keep on the next bit, and keep on the next bit. And then we got to the finish, and I was like, well, uh, that was a pretty decent run. But because we didn't know what the times were from the semi, we hadn't looked. We uh, just saw that we went into third with three behind us, so we knew we'd made the final, and we didn't pay any more attention. And uh, so we didn't know how we'd done when we finished, and uh well, I mean, just two more, que- two more questions for oh, you because right, I know no, there's lots of no, people to right. speak we'll, to. You. We'll answer them. Yeah. <laughs> You'll answer anything right now. Um, 
what, just words on David and Richard because obviously um, they knew going into that they knew going into that there would be you know it, it was it was win-win wasn't it yeah I mean David and Richard when they first started in, in doubles it was really hard for us because we were you know they, we didn't have the skills and the mental toughness to be able to deal with that and uh, they have been there teaching us that toughness and we have been pushed pushed and pushing all the way and without without them being there I don't think we would have had the skills and the abilities to deal with what we you know what we had to do today and they have played a big part and for them to come second I honestly think my dad said he, he would have been happy with a foot you know one one medal each and for it to be like that it is a dream come true for our sport and for us you know it's it's a worthy thanks to everything from Viking kite club to uh, Olympic champion yeah I mean what can you say you know I remember starting down there I remember my, my friend Chris told me oh come along and do some slalom man it's it's great it's great fun you know and I remember that really clearly now and, and yeah, here we are and here I am. In, uh, unbelievable. I'm absolutely delighted for you both. Congratulations. Thank Thanks you very much. much. See ya. Cheers. We'll catch you soon. Fantastic. Your texts are coming in about your favourite gigs. 81333 CR. What's the best gig you've ever been to? I'll tell you mine in a little bit. Elton John, Sacrifice. I saw him do a tiny secret gig in London. And a member of the production team saw the other extreme... Him doing a big fireworks extravaganza, you know, with fireworks. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. What's the best gig you've ever been to? I've got a load of text here, which I'll do a little bit later on. I've also got a text from Cynthia explaining the German-British gentleman's um, possible reason for falling off his bicycle, allowing Sir Chris Hoy to win a medal. We'll discuss that in a bit. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, we're talking about... Good morning, by the way, dear listeners. Sorry, it's, it's Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, we're asking for your best gigs. There was a, a review of Blur, uh, who played a couple of days ago. Uh, and it was, it was amazing. Oh, they were fantastic. Uh, they still had that punk spirit. Uh, so I'm asking for your, the best ever gig you've been to. Um, Susan in Hatfield. Really? My best concert was at the old Wembley Arena with Status Quo, Rod Stewart and Joe Cocker. Now, I saw Status Quo live because um, someone gave me some free tickets. And the first 20 minutes, I was really, really into it and really enjoyed it. So I, you know, my tongue was a little bit in my cheek, but it was good. Then they played for hours. I just thought, really? Three chords for hours? Um, Phil says, the best gig for me has to be Simon and Gar- Garfunkel at Hyde Park in 2006. I'd like to have seen that, but I don't... Uh, uh, Hyde Park's a bit too big for gigs. And also, you're never going to get right near the front, really. Um, and he says, also, you've got to love Bobby Dylan. Oh, you don't, though, Phil. The man can't sing. You know, he's written a couple of good tunes. I will give him that. But he just, you know, he can't sing. And Ben in Buckingham. <laughs> is this really... Is this really a, a, a three-counties radio listener? The best gig I've ever been to uh, is between two. Metallica's Death Magnetic Tour or Slipknot's All Hope Is Gone Tour. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they're bands. They are actually bands. I interviewed um, uh, Slipknot once, and they were very, very, very nice gentlemen. Uh, oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number, and of course you can um, text your favourite gigs of all time eight one three double three. Starting your text three CR. We'll also talk about first memories, but we'll we'll do that a bit later on. Back to the Olympics, if you don't mind. The games are well underway now, but we're still assessing the benefit that they've brought to the three counties. A Hertfordshire company which made the Olympic cauldrons, which I saw for the first time. I didn't see the lighting of the cauldron because I went to bed when the athletes came out and 20 minutes later we were still into the bees. So I, went, I, saw, I saw the cauldron yesterday. Uh, but anyway, a Hertfordshire company, which made the Olympic cauldrons, 
is, uh, not, uh, Cauldron, sorry, not Cauldron, I do apologise, yes, there we go, uh, is now look as if there would be more than one Olympic Cauldron. Maybe there are, maybe they've got a secret stash of Cauldrons hidden away somewhere. Is now looking to recruit more staff due to its success. Justin uh, Dealey has been down to the factory to meet Richard Wilson, who's managing director... Is that not this? Oh, where are we going now? I'm reading the wrong thing. I do apologise. I haven't got the script for the other thing. How exciting. Look at that. Isn't it exciting? This is, uh, th- this is the last day. You can tell this is the last day. Things are going hideously wrong. Let me have a little look at this, shall we? Oh, we'll do this, shall we? Every- we'll do the cauldrons later on. Everyone's appetite is whetted for the cauldrons. I want to hear about the cauldrons, though. We'll do the cauldrons later on. Tonight, one of our local athletes from Milton Keynes will take part in his first Olympics. Andrew Bagley is part of the GB table tennis team who will face Portugal at 7 o'clock. Stephen, Andrew's brother and coach, explained to our reporter Jessica Cooper how he's feeling ahead of tonight's match. It's special because I'm a family member. I'm his brother. It's special for our family. Um, but obviously, in a, in a sporting context, it's, it's a very big moment. Um, but it's a moment that we will take in the same way that you know we would with any other match so it's a very big occasion but we will treat it in exactly the same way as we would for any any match is that easy to do though because people say i'll treat it like it's just another game but it, it is the olympics and that comes with more pressure doesn't it no it does it does obviously there's a lot more attention um but if you don't treat it in any other way you won't perform that's that's clear um so it is going to be difficult for andrew it is in a new territory for andrew but he is a big time player he's, he's he's gone through three commonwealth games he played a home games in 2002 at manchester he was fortunate enough to win two golds there and he reacts to the big occasion he likes the big crowds and it certainly adds a, a lift to him and i think to most big time players that that is the case and table tennis is a bit different to some of the Olympic sports we've been seeing on the television this week. With the swimming, there are a number of heats, whereas with the table tennis, Andrew and the team have got to do well from the word go, really. It's do or die straight away. They're straight away in the last 16, so they could be out very quickly, but equally so. Um, they can get into medal positions very quickly. Um, they've been given... I think as good a draw as possible. Um, they play Portugal. Underdog, certainly, the British team, but a, a chance to win and they've avoided the might of China. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's do or die straight away, but if, if you start winning matches, you know, you're in medal positions. Are we talking about a medal, maybe, do you think? I think I think it's difficult to say that. It's always possible. If you, if you don't believe, there's no point being there. And uh, Andrew certainly got belief. Uh, it is relative, the performance to your teammates as well. So obviously they have to perform. Equally, Andrew has to perform. And I believe if all the team perform at their best and have the, the moments of their career, yeah, of course a medal's possible. How did Andrew get into table tennis in the first place? I know there's the table tennis centre in Milton Keynes now, but was that here when he was growing up? No. I mean, I played table tennis. My parents played some table tennis I'm a generation older than my brother, um, and it was at a time when I'd started out as a professional coach. So I'd left school, gone into coaching. Andrew's just literally um, four or five years old, and I've basically then said, oh, OK, I'll take you under my wing. I'll, I'll do this. Actually, it was my our mother uh, who started Andrew in the back garden in, the, in about 1987 at the age of about four or five years old, and she just played all summer with him just by knocking a ball over over the table in the back garden. And that's exactly how it started, uh, certainly humble beginnings, and you know that, that's what makes it a special occasion now. And during the game itself, how near will you be able to be to him whilst he's playing? 
I'll be in the stands, so I, I don't know what my seat's like. Uh, obviously, we got a couple of allocated tickets. Uh, fortunately, my mum and dad and myself got tickets. I'm hoping that I'll be close. But and- Andrew doesn't need my involvement when he's on the court. He's worked with many coaches, and he- he'll be fine whoever's in his corner. So no matter how Andrew does at the Olympics, as far as you're concerned, this is just the start of the peak of his career. Oh, absolutely. Whatever happens, he's come out as, a, as an Olympian. Um, when we set out on the road, we didn't expect anything like this. So, you know, it's been, it's been a, a sort of an amazing journey. Um, there's been ups and downs, but I, I genuinely believe more, many more ups than downs. Um, and, you know, I, I do believe he's at the peak of his career now. He, he will be aiming at medals again in, in the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, which is obviously on British soil, which is big. And he, he'll certainly be looking to, to compete uh, in Rio. So, I mean, that's his journey for the future. There's the sound of the table tennis ball ending that report. I do apologise for messing up things earlier on. It's the last day. I brought in a spectrum. I'm wearing mufti. I'm doing what, me, what I want, really. Uh, <laughs> we will play the cauldron report a bit later, I promise. It's heart alone. Everybody, except for me, has been singing like a lunatic along to that. Uh, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We're asking for the best gig you've ever been to. We'll be talking more as well about Sir Chris Hoy and the controversy over whether one of the uh, riders in his team. A German lad, I don't understand that. If someone can explain how uh, someone who's obviously German because they only learned English two years ago can cycle for Team GB. Uh, and, and the fact that he, he may or may not have taken a deliberate tumble. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Friday the 3rd of August. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. There was agony and ecstasy for two Bedfordshire Olympians yesterday as Team GB he won three more gold medals. The agony came for Stopfold cyclist Victoria Pendleton, who was disqualified in the team sprint. But there was ecstasy for Bedford's Etienne Stott in the canoe slalom. Police in High Wycombe are continuing to urge the community to come forward with information after a man was assaulted in the early hours of Sunday morning. The 22-year-old man remains at the John Radcliffe Hospital in a critical condition after being found with head injuries. In sport, Milton Keynes Dons play their first home pre-season friendly this evening as they host Premier League side Norwich at Stadium MK. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Some bright or sunny intervals, but rather cloudy at times with the chance of scattered showers. Top temperature, 22 degrees Celsius. Coming up, one week ago, millions of us across the country were gearing up to watch the final leg of the torch relay into the Olympic Park. Oh, it's the cauldron story next. Is it exciting? We're looking forward to this. As part of the relay, cauldrons were lit, passing the flame between runners. Those cauldrons were made right here in the three counties. Find out more next. I think he's back next week. Kate Robbins is uh, filling in for Nick today. Now, the games are well underway, but we're still assessing the benefit they've brought to the Three counties. A Hertfordshire company which made the Olympic cauldrons is now looking to recruit more staff due to its success. Justin Dealey has been down to the factory to meet Richard Wilson, who's managing director of Chase Teed Limited. So, as our listeners can probably hear, we're inside the factory. Lots of people working here already. Richard, welcome to the programme. You made 11 cauldrons for the Olympics. You've still got one here. How did you get that job in the first place? A very unique and a very special job. Well, it was a very competitive tendering process. Uh, we were approached by the company Tecasim. They're the design company. That took, had the uh, the task of taking what the Olympic Committee wanted to uh, create, uh, but actually make it into something that we could actually manufacture. We're quite well known within the press industry, press that's press metal rather than newspaper, um, to uh, to manufacture low volume components 
as you say, there was only 10. We made 11 and the best 10 went. We've, we say we still have one uh, that's here. But yeah, we were absolutely delighted to be selected. Uh, there aren't many companies left in the UK that can do what we can do as well as what we do. It is a great local story. People, of course, would have seen them at the Torch Relay, but they are still on display in London, aren't they? Uh, London, and if you'd have seen them, the interviews carried out by the, uh, for the sailing and the yachting competitions, they take a very prominent position in the background. We rather thought that once the Torch Relay had finished, that, that would be the end of their job. But no, they're still extremely prominent uh, features throughout the Olympics, so we're delighted to be involved. And you've got to be careful what you say here. How much are they worth? Because they look very expensive. They, they must be, surely. Uh, yes, they were. Uh, it's impossible to put a value to them. Um, you see a lot of talk about the torches going, uh, being put up for sale. Um, and there are 8,000 of those. There are mm. 10 of these. I think the value to the Olympics is greater than you can put on a monetary value. I, I wouldn't like to guess at how much these things are worth now. It's a good PC answer. <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> much. You yeah. So, obviously, we, we've been talking this week about the longevity of the Games and, and the impact that will have in years to come. What about the impact this has had on your business already because you've got this contract? Uh, well, we're actually obviously delighted. It gives a, a real sense of pride to be involved in something like this for the guys on the shop floor. Um, to be involved in making something that uh, is so prominent that you, so much of what we see do being never get seen again mm. but to see such a prominent feature uh, in the Olympics was, was really it was a great boost for, for, for morale on the shop floor to produce something like that It's well and truly put you on the map and 50 years of business this is probably your busiest time ever and where people are cutting staff you're actually looking for more now Oh yes, we're looking to actively recruit. There's 50 of us here, um, our, our skilled sheet metal workers I would rank as among the best in the world, and we're looking for at least another 10 guys to come and join the team. Um, skilled sheet metal workers, uh, fabricators is what we're desperately looking for from the local area. Everyone here, including yourself, feels incredibly proud to be involved with London 2012. Just lastly, having a name like Richard Wilson, is that quite hard? I don't believe it. Um, you're the first one today, but uh, it is early in the morning. I'm sure there'll be another one before the end of the day. So, uh, no, obviously, I thank my parents for that one. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not as bad as it used to be. Well, what have you made of the game so far? Are you enjoying what you're seeing? Well, I must confess I've surprised myself in my capacity to watch sport. It's never been really a great thing for me, but it, it's, it is, it's a fascinating process to watch uh, uh, the, the British guys uh, the British teams do so well. It, it really is very encouraging. Uh, and the opening ceremony, I just thought, was fantastic. There we go. We, we've got the Cauldron Report at last. Uh, we've been asking um, you, what odd sports have you been watching throughout the whole week? What odd sports have you seen? And Joe and Letchworth is the show's official odd sports watcher. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. How are you? Uh, well, Joe, can I be honest with you? Yeah, go on. I'm a bit disappointed. Because I didn't call in yesterday. Because you didn't call in yesterday, Joe. Uh, I, I thought we had a deal. What was going on? We did, uh, uh, and I apologise. And you know what? There wasn't many odd sports on yesterday. It was actually, um, it was actually quite good. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I, in that case, I'll let you off. What, 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 what have you been watching then, Joe? I, I watched uh, oh, the water polo. The, the wife made me watch it, and I it's it's handball in yep. the water. Yeah. And this is what we said the other day. Handball is just football, but without using your feet. So well, this is where we this is where we disagree because I quite like handball. I don't like football, although I've got a brilliant way to make football better. And maybe if, if you know the, sh- the show's a little bit slow later on, I'll tell you how to do it. But I quite liked the the um, water handball, whatever it was called, because they're not standing on the bottom of the pool. You know, they're swimming constantly. I did not know that. They're not. Yeah, they're not just standing in the shallow end <laughs> and running up. They're they're, they're, they're swimming. Because when I look at the water polo. <laughs> I look at it and I go, 
do you know what? That's like being 10 years old and going to a swimming pool with all the inflatables. <laughs> they ought to throw a few inflatables in there, just, I, you know. I did see a member of the German team with armbands. Is that allowed? <laughs> I, did, I didn't see that, but I did watch the shooting. Yep. I did watch the, the white water rafting, which was fantastic. Yes. Um... And I'm a li- uh, to be honest, I'm a little bit niggled now um, oh. on, on Bradley Wiggins' comments. He turned around and said, there's no point winning a medal if it's not gold. Oh! And, and do you know what? You and me have both agreed, do you know what? Yep. Any medal is good, because if I won any Olympic medal, I would be running down the street naked. Um, I don't know if that's an Olympic sport, Joe, but you've certainly put a, a delightful image into our heads. Listen, this is my uh, my last day of doing the breakfast during the Olympics. What has been the highlight, Olympic-wise, for you, Joe? Uh, the one thing that you're not allowed to watch in your house, my friend, and that has got to be the uh, the double trap when Peter Wilson won the gold. That was fantastic. The double trap? What's that? Clip the clay pigeon shooting. Oh, I'm not allowed to watch the shooting, the Ian, judo, the weightlift, anything good. Yes. Ian, you're going to have to come uh, clay pigeon shoot with me. I'll go quite a bit and you're more than welcome so, to come along. Uh, very rarely, I, I have one rule in radio, and the rule is if a listener invites me to go and play with guns and them, I, I always say no. Always say no to that. Joe, thank you very much. You've been a good sport all week. Excellent stuff. Probably best just if we, we don't do that, I think. It's the Turtles. <laughs> I like that song. It's a joke song. Do you know that is written as a, a, a joke riposte to Eleanor Rigby? I believe. Maybe I just made that up. I don't know. It's good, though. Now, we were talking earlier on about uh, Sir Chris Hoy winning the um, the gold medal in the bikes. Uh, and his teammate said that, oh, yeah, I fell off deliberately so that Chris would win a gold medal. Is that, I, I, don't know, I don't know if that's true or not. This is what it says in the, the, the Daily Mail. It was an interview with him. And then Team GB have come out and said, whoa, 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 he's only been speaking English for two years. You've misunderstood. And I need someone to explain this to me, if you saw the race and if you know anything about um, cycling. How did that work? 08459 455. 555. Cynthia in High Wycombe says, Ian, I saw the race. The front wheel of the bike bike seemed to bend. And he fell down. He didn't seem to understand the question either. But it is, in the answer to the question, he says, yeah, I fell off deliberately. We planned it. I did it. That's almost a direct quote. So you would think he would have understood the question. Oh, and Mike and Oxer, we're talking. We're going to start talking after seven o'clock about your first ever memory. This is as a report in the paper that some people have a condition where they can remember every day of their life. So you say, what, what did you do on September the twelfth, nineteen eighty-six? Oh yeah, I remember that. We um, we went to the shops and then I had a slush puppy. They can remember it specifically like that. So I want to know your first ever memory. Um, uh, my earliest memory, says Mike, is playing in a paddling pool with my dad, age four. It's weird, isn't it? That everything before that. He's got, I might as well do nothing with my two-and-a-half-year-old son, because the odds of him remembering him going to the farm, him going to Legoland, me spending lots of money on him, he's not going to remember any of it. It's pointless. We'll discuss it more after seven. Good morning, this is The Breakfast Show on BBC Three Counties Radio. In the next hour, Olympic tickets, Etienne Stott, the best gig you've ever been to, and what is your first ever memory. All of that and more after the news and sport with Simon Oxley. Thank you very much, Simon. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee, my last breakfast show uh, on BBC Three Counties Radio. So if you've been listening for the, fast, uh, the last month and kind of thinking, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to call in, but I can't do it today. Oh, this, this is good. I, I wouldn't mind saying this. Today is your last opportunity to do it. So I do urge you, pick up the phone and give me a call. You can call about any of the things we're talking about 
or any of things that you think that maybe we should be talking about that affect you. We've got a load of nonsense on the go this morning, including uh, the best gig you've ever been to. We'll also be asking, what is your first ever memory? Uh, and we'll be talking about the Olympics. Olympic tickets coming up. Uh, Etienne Stott winning gold. All of these things and more. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. Uh, you can text 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. But really, come on, last day, phone calls please. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The big news for three counties is that Bedford's Etienne Stott and partner Tim Bailey won gold at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre in Hertfordshire yesterday. It was a double victory for Team GB with Richard Hounslow and David Florence taking silver. It brings our tally up to 15 medals, including five gold. Our Olympics reporter Luke Ashmead was there watching. Are Florence and Hounslow going to take gold? Are they going to take gold at Lee Valley? No! It takes silver at Lee Valley Whitewater Centre. GB have taken gold at <laughs> And silver, unbelievable scenes, unbelievable scenes inside the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre. Tim Bailey from Bedford, uh, Tim Bailey and Etienne Stott from Bedford have taken the gold medal in the C2 event at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre in Hertfordshire. The silver medal goes to uh, David Florence and Richard Hounslow. I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. And I've never heard anything like this in, in my entire life. We did try to get Luke on the show this morning, but unfortunately he's been rushed to hospital. After <laughs> after the excitement <laughs> peaked in his body. Wow, excellent stuff, Luke. Thank you very much indeed. That sounded superb. Well, Rob Bates is the secretary of the Viking Kayaking Club in Bedford that Etienne joined when he was just 12 years old. He watched him storm to victory yesterday and joins our reporter, Justin Dealey. Now, good morning, Justin. Thank you, Ian. At Luke Ashby's commentary, wasn't that absolutely superb? Super, very exciting. Singles well done, Luke. down your spine. So, uh, as you say, Rob is with me in our radio car here in Bromham. Uh, Rob, what a day. We spoke yesterday morning and you were confident that Etienne and Tim, they would qualify for the final, but to go on and win gold? Did you see that coming? Well, that's really, you know, obviously the very top end of our expectation is it's absolute dream come true. I, mean, I, I really did think that they were serious medal contenders, and really in this sport, it, it's so much on the day, and all of the top boats are of such quality, anything's possible. This morning, you are absolutely exhausted. Uh, what was the atmosphere like yesterday? Oh, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, at the end, we had like tens of thousands of people singing along with the, with the national anthem and, and doing Mexican waves. And the, the atmosphere was just fantastic. Now, we spoke about a barbecue after the event yesterday morning. So what actually happened? Was there some form of party after the event yesterday? Well, uh, the, you know, the barbecue was going to be at Etienne's house near the, the course because that's where all the athletes are based. And, of course, uh, in the end, uh, you know, such was the success, they were whisked off by the BBC and <laughs> and uh, we didn't see them and the barbecue's been put on hold. But uh, managed to get back to the club last night and a few beers um, just back at, back here in Bedford. Um, so it was good to see everybody, and, and but there'll they'll be celebrations to come. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're going to have a, a big, big party, of course, at the club in Bedford, which, of course, is where it all started for Essien at, what, 12 years old. So a big party plan there. 
We'll certainly be, uh, you know, looking forward to welcoming him uh, back home. He's got obviously things to do right now, uh, but yeah, um, it'll be fantastic to see him back home, and, and that'll happen, I'm sure. But the work carries on for you because you can't rest. You can't get up this morning and look at all the videos from yesterday. It's straight back to work. You've got a huge event on Sunday. Tell us more about that. Well, that's right. Uh, early in the year, we, we uh, had all, all so much rain, and the river levels um, were so high, we had to cancel our flat water race, which was our 60th an, uh, anniversary of the flat water, the, the longest running um, distance race in the UK. And that's on this, Sunday's mo- uh, this Sunday morning. So we've got to get up and ready. Uh, we'll be out there sort of 6 or 7 o'clock early on Sunday morning preparing, and there should be about 200 boats going up and down the embankment uh, in Bedford. Absolutely superb. I'm surprised you've still got a voice left. Yesterday, how high was your voice? Yes, yes. Was it really that high? <laughs> I was shouting pretty loud, <laughs> I can tell you. I was screaming at the top of my voice. It's um, a day that you won't forget. I will never forget that, no. I mean, it, it was just, you had to kind of pinch yourself. And even today, I'm going to have to go and look at the TV again and make sure it's true. Rob, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you go. Rob Bates joining us live in our radio car here in Bedford. Uh, Rob, of course, is from the Viking Kayaking Club in Bedford. They are planning some party. And again, it's one of the stories of the Olympics so far, Ian. Oh, superb stuff. It's very exciting, isn't it? Because we had, you know, a fairly dry run at the start of the Olympics. And now it's really taking off. And there's a lot of local ones as well. So it's great news, isn't it, Justin? Absolutely brilliant. I, I think I think that's the, the, the one thing before the Olympics that we're all very, very excited about. Yes, it's on a worldwide stage. But when you look at the, the athletes competing from this part of the world in beds, hearts and bucks, uh, we've spoken today about Etienne, of course. We spoke about Max Whitlock earlier in the week. The, the fact that, the guy, that these guys are competing is one thing, but for them to, to actually be picking up medals, it's, um, it's incredible. And it's, it's that feel-good factor. Justin, excellent stuff. We'll be talking to you later on. Have a think, Justin. What's the best gig you've ever been to? That's what we're talking about today, and I'll, I'll find out. I bet Justin's been to some stonking gigs. I bet he's been to some great stuff. Well, there was success there, but there was also disappointment for Team GB yesterday as Stopfold's Victoria Pendleton and Jess Varnish were relegated in the women's cycling team sprint, missing out on the ride-off for Olympic gold against China. Today, Hertfordshire's Laura Trott will compete for Team GB in the Olympic cycling track racing. The, 22, uh, the, sorry, the 20-year-old from Chesson is taking part in the qualifying round of the Team Pursuit race this afternoon. We've got Adrian Trott. Uh, Laura's dad is on the line. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. How are you feeling today? Um, nervous. <laughs> I bet you are. Because also, you're, you're powerless. There's nothing you can do now. It's up to no. Laura. Yes, completely. Yeah, to- total helplessness. You must be really proud of that. I mean, what, what does it feel like having a, a, an Olympic athlete, a star, in the family? It's slightly surreal. We were talking about this. We were down in the park yesterday and with my other daughter, and we were talking about it. You know, the Olympics is something that you, 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 you watch on the telly. You know, yesterday we were in the park. We were part of it. Mm. And today, Laura's going to be competing. That's... You know, that's almost not real. That's that's madness. Have uh, you spoken to Laura? We haven't spoken to Laura for nearly a fortnight. Oh no, that must make it even worse. Then is, is that? No, 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 no. That's that's good. Really? That's good. Is that her decision, or is that the rule of of? Is that how the Olympics work? That they're kind of isolated a bit from family no, no, and no, friends? No. no, it's totally the athlete's decision. Um, we we said to her, we saw her at the holding camp up in Wales. And had afternoon tea with her, and then said, "Right, if you want us, you phone us." 
um, it, which is really what all, all she does. Mm. You know, we, we can go a couple of weeks without hearing from her. Um, she generally only phones when there's an issue. <laughs> when she needs her washing done. Yeah, uh, you, you, talk, you talk about focus and concentration because, you know, Victoria, the disappointment with Victoria Pendleton yesterday, she described it as just one of those things and explained that there's a lot uh, to, to concentrate and focus on when you're in the middle of competing. How do you think Laura is coping with, with being remaining focused? I think she'll cope very well. Um, she's, yeah, she's been doing this at this level only for a really short time, but she, she is able to just concentrate on getting the job done. And, and that's what she looks at it as, you know, as just a, another bike race, just a, a job to be done. And I think if you go in with that, it makes all the periphery. How did Laura get into cycling? Very long story. But um, my wife wanted to lose quite a bit of weight. We started riding as a family. Uh, some friends of ours introduced us to the track at Welling after we'd been riding as a family for a uh, couple of years, really. Um, the girls loved it, and it just fed from there. So, you know, it was a, a, it was a family pastime. Well, listen, uh, Adrian, I- enjoy today. Uh, I wish you and your family the best of luck. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to have a fantastic time. But what are you going to do to celebrate if things go well? Which they will do. There will be a party at some stage. A, um, a couple of cans we've, maybe cracked we've, open. We've, oh, they certainly will be. Good uh, we're, we're, we've, we've obviously got to keep it low-key until we've got the Omnium later, later next week. Adrian, listen, uh, the best of luck. I, th- I suspect a few cans will be, uh, will be cracked open in, in celebration there. That's uh, Adrian Trott, who's uh, Laura Trott's uh, dad, and she's taking part in the qualifying round of the Team Pursuit race this afternoon. Imagine that, though, because you're proud of your kids, whatever they do. Right? If my little boy, you know, brings a worm in, I'm like, oh, he's brought a worm in! You know, if he, if, if he throws his, his tea on the floor. Oh, he threw his tea on the floor. He did it, he did it so specially. But imagine if your kids... Is in the ath- is, is in the Olympics and is, is up with a pretty good chance of doing pretty well. Imagine how proud you'd feel then. That's fantastic, uh, isn't it? We've got a couple of uh, the best concerts. Oh, the, the Phil who saw Simon and Garfunkel and uh, in Hyde Park, and I was worried that being in Hyde Park you wouldn't be too near the front. Ian, I did get right down the front at Simon and Garfunkel. It was all old fogies in seats. <laughs> So we just pushed in front of them. Wonderful. Uh, Lorraine says, The best ever gig was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, supported by James Brown. We were right at the front. The sun shone all day. And April... I'm really surprised, dear listener, by some of your your choices. Uh, April says, The best concerts for me, choice of two, Marilyn Manson or Alice Cooper. Fantastic. Uh, You can text in your best ever concerts, uh, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. We're also talking about your earliest memories, and we'll uh, have some uh, calls and texts about that after this. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 7.15 on Friday, the 3rd of August. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Agony and ecstasy for two Bedfordshire Olympians yesterday as Team GB won three more gold medals. The agony came for Stopfold cyclist Victoria Pendleton, who was disqualified in the team sprint, but there was ecstasy for Bedford's Etienne Stott in the canoe slalom. Police in High Wycombe are continuing to urge the community to come forward with information after a man was assaulted in the early hours of Sunday morning. The 22-year-old man remains at the John Radcliffe Hospital in a critical condition after being found with head injuries.
In sport, Milton Keynes Dons play their first home pre-season friendly this evening as they host Premier League side Norwich at Stadium MK. Full sports bulletin in a few minutes, or 15 minutes, with uh, Simon Oxley, and weather coming up soon with Chris Bell. And also, can you believe this? Today is one year on from the summer riots. We'll remember what happened next on Breakfast. Yeah. Always worth a listen. Uh, th- th- fantastic, and I shall continue to listen to Jonathan Vernon-Smith, uh, even when I'm not... I just think he's fantastic. There's a story in uh, one of the papers uh, about a condition that affects people. I've heard of this before. I didn't quite believe it, but uh, the, the, the scientists are conducting experiments under laboratory conditions on it, where people can remember every day of their lives. Now, that, sat to me, sounds like hell just remembering everything you know even all the boring stuff my memory i have to tell you is absolutely awful can never remember anybody's names never remember names it's a real struggle uh so i never you'll notice if you see me about i never say names uh i'll always you know skip around the name uh and if i have to introduce my wife to someone that I, i supposedly know it's awful and so i do the thing of introducing my wife and then not introducing the person and she is then primed to go oh ian didn't introduce sorry what your name is and you know she she knows that that's her role in uh, in our relationship uh, but uh, we're asking uh, what is your earliest memory uh, dennis is called in good morning dennis and dunstable good morning incidentally i'm like you i can't remember people's names oh it's awful isn't it yeah well i my most distinct memory was yes. in my third year yes. and i'm now 87 wow wow it's a distinct memory i've got other memories where you think people are looking over a cot at you and the rubbish like that but this yes. is a definite one yeah. i had to go into a hospital in just outside manchester Pattycroft. yeah uh, during my third year to, for a tonsillectomy. Yes. Yeah, and then I was carried, a distinct memory of being carried in by the porter, and then they put me on a, a, a bed, or whatever it was, and asked me to count to ten, and I said, I, 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 can't, I can't count. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not old enough. Oh, and dis- and they, they, in those days, it wasn't a mask that came down over your face. This was like a tea strainer upside down, packed with cotton wool, and right. they dripped ether into it. Oh, my goodness. To knock you out. And then the next distinct memory was coming round in the hospital with a kidney bowl under my chin to s- collect the dribbles. Ooh. Because, obviously, it was a, a bloody operation. You know, he, blood he means in. bloody literally. He's not swearing. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was... It was <laughs> There was dribbles in there. If you're enjoying your breakfast right now, then uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, we asked for it, and, and you've certainly given it to us. See, that sounds like it's, it was probably, that's lodged in your memory, because oh, it was yeah. quite a traumatic experience yeah, for a two-year-old. Right, yeah. my, my earliest memory, Dennis, is quite dull. I remember it very well. It was uh, in my house. I was peering around my coffee table, and I remember thinking, I'm three years old. <laughs> and that's my first memory. <laughs> Nothing traumatic about that at all. No, no. Dennis, thank you very much. Dennis in Dunstable there, and I um, you've not been put off your breakfast too much, although I suspect that you have. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dennis. What was your earliest memory, dear listener? Mine's really boring. Normally it is something like that that's quite traumatic, uh, that kind of just kicks the long-term memory into gear. It does make me think, it's so unlikely that my little boy, who's two and a half, is going to remember anything we've done with him in his life so far. So what's the point? Time for the weather now. Here's Chris Bell. <laughs> 
Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Chris, I'll try and keep quiet if you mention the magic T word, but away you go, sir. <laughs> I'm just laughing as well because I've got a four-year-old and I often think the same thing. What's the What's the point? They're not going to remember. I mean, your four-year-old might start remembering stuff now, but yeah, exactly. b- before that, really? Yeah, why, I, why bother? I, I do ask him questions about what happened, you know, a year ago and stuff, and it, it, sporadically he'll say yes and sporadically he'll say no, he doesn't remember. So it's I just think until, until, until they're four and a half, we should save our money and just pop them in front of Mr. Tumble and leave it at that. <laughs> Chris, away you go. Okay. Uh, sunny spells across the area right now. And that's it for your weather. Chris, thank you very much indeed. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, it seems hard to think that the, the riots were a year ago. Uh, and I kind of saw, not all of this firsthand, but I drove, I was working in central London and, and had to drive back late at night. Um, sort of the second or third night and, and Camden, I drove through Camden in North London and it was all closed off and there were riot police there with guns and everything, it was terrifying burning buildings, smashed shop windows, public looting and violence as the riots caused disturbance all over the country, not just in London one in four 12 to 18 year olds say they think the riots could happen again, well last year our reporter Justin Dealey spoke to teenagers in the three counties and asked them whether they would get involved in a riot in their local town yeah, <laughs> you seriously would do yeah it looks fun so you think looting shops? Uh, oh no, I wouldn't loot shops. It's just like I think. F- no, I mean like, like just throwing bricks at police. That'd be funny. But this idea of throwing bricks at the police because it's fun. <laughs> why would that be fun? Because like it's funny if you see someone get hit with a brick. Are you actually being serious? Yeah. Have you not seen someone get hit with a brick? Well, why do you think that's funny? It's pro- oh, trust me, it's really good. Like if you see someone get hit with a brick in the face and they drop and cry, it's just funny. It's just a bit nuts, isn't it? It, I would, if I was them, I would be robbing bare stuff and selling it. Just, just quick little, get a touch, wouldn't you? Just get a little Apple Mac and you can sell it. So if there was a riot where you live, would you actively get involved? Would you actively go into the shop? Would you actively loot? I don't know, I'd probably send some little, like, younger in there to go and get it, and then come, they can't give it to me. So then I don't do nothing wrong. Well, I think uh, the scene's horrific. But I think, given that, if kids were, had like, more things to do around town, then I think then it wouldn't have happened. Wow. It really is all I can say to that. Wow. Uh, Mike Panett's a former police officer. He served with the force uh, for nearly 20 years and has done everything from frontline policing on London riot squads to serving as a bobby on the beat in Yorkshire. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Ian. What do you make to what you just heard there? Well, to be honest with you, what I, what I just heard there, I think it's, it's, there's a lot of bravado, obviously, in that young man's... Um, interview and a sort of reality check. I, I remember my very first um, public order, if you like, the, the first sort of bit of riot when I was a probationer in London. If you remember back to the poll tax riot, I do remember. Yes. Well, my we we, we were on duty, and, and all of a sudden there was tens of thousands of people suddenly took a huge dislike to what the government were doing at the time, but then soon quickly turned to um, having to go at the police. And I remember arriving from Battersea in a van. I was a probationer, and as I got out, a brick, as this young man's just described, it's fun throwing it at the police. Mm. Well, the brick flew past me and missed me, but I remember uh, a sergeant who had been at a football match who had got six weeks left from serving his 30 years just getting out of the van, and I saw the brick hit him in his face and knocked every single one of his teeth out. And that is the reality of throwing bricks at the police, and obviously... My message is, if you're going to throw bricks at the police, then be prepared to um, spend some time in prison. Now, you were at the riots last year in Croydon. 
Describe what you saw to us, Mike. Well, I mean, when I, when I arrived, I was actually asked to go down um, by news media, so I sort of went down on the, um, the what was going to be potentially the worst night, and um, I had a lot of friends still serving in the Metropolitan Police, and I was also aware there was, there was cops from all over the UK sort of making their way down there, and I ended up just on the outskirts of Croydon, and I could see straight away that, that in Croydon in particular... The, there was complete lawlessness. It was it was probably the worst sort of scenes of violence I've ever seen in my life. And when you see buildings on fire and um, you know people just completely out of control, it's it was very frightening. And people have to cast their mind back just how frightened um, and terrifying Londoners were. And not only that, people in Manchester and and certain parts of the Midlands. It was a, a very it was horrendous. Um, well, I remember shops, you know, after a couple of nights of it, or a night of it, that shops were being boarded up, people were staying in, no one was, was going out. It was, there was a real sense of fear. There was, and I think that's one thing that, that, that the police have to do. The one big overriding thing that, that, that the police deliver, if you like, is reduce the fear of, for the public, in, you know, fear of crime in the public. And I think for those four days, until it was gripped, if you like, and, and got on top of. For those four days, people, not just in London and the Midlands and elsewhere, people watching it were absolutely in fear. Um, and to some extent, it was, it was the very slow response um, from the police that, that sort of let, allowed it to carry on for all those days. It's interesting you mention that, Mike. Why was there such a slow response from the police? Well, I think on the build-up to it, and, I've, and it's nothing I'm, I'm, you know, I think, just to be absolutely crystal clear here, the front line, if you like, the police officers, the PCs, the sergeants, the inspectors were absolutely as keen as anything to get on top of this. And I, you know, sitting at home, watching after day one, thinking to myself, and this went, and I know because I've spoken to hundreds of police officers nationally, and when you see it sort of starting on the Friday, building up in Tottenham, following into the Saturday, Sunday, and, and cops all over the country are thinking, this is dreadful, I want to go and help, I want to go and back up my friends and colleagues who are, who are getting attacked here, and protect the people they're supposed to be serving. And I think there was a great nervousness around at the time in the Metropolitan Police. If you look back to, there'd been bad headlines about police kettling, there'd been all the fiasco with the um, student demonstrations, there'd been the dreadful issue with Tomlinson with, on the G20, and I think the police, the senior management in the Metropolitan Police were very nervous at the mm. time, they'd just lost the commissioner. And I think it was not until the day four, and I remember arriving in London and my old boss, Sir Hugh Ward, was there and, and a couple of other very good people had arrived. And, and on that Monday morning, I, I remember doing a live interview thinking to myself, where is the leadership that's needed? But the other thing and the overriding thing which was quite apparent to me was once you start asking for officers from all over the country, certainly to go to London, um, this costs a lot of money. And I, and I actually believe that there was a bit of delay whilst the Home Office and, and the Home Secretary suddenly realised it was that serious that, yes, go for it and, and let's, let's do it. Because as soon as you start pushing the buttons to get everybody there, of course, that involves huge sums of money. And, you know, I believe, um, you know, I said at the time it was time for some of the senior leadership to throw away the public order manuals and actually deal with it 
but they're, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation. 21st century policing is not easy. When these commanders are making decisions, on one side they've got somebody from liberty, on the other side there's, there's somebody from human rights, and everything's been tape recorded. They're terrified of litigation. Mike, we've got to leave it there. Thank you very much. I could talk all morning about that. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's fascinating getting that kind of point of view about things. There's Mike Panett, who's a former police officer, uh, who, was, um, who saw firsthand uh, the London riots, which were a year ago today. Mike, thank you very much. Absolutely fascinating. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties um, Radio. Yes, that's it. This is radio, isn't it? For a second, I had to think, what is this medium that we're using to broadcast? It's radio. I'm here until nine o'clock. If you want to give me a call, I would do it now. It's my last stint in this shift. Uh, so if you've been thinking almost, oh, I should, you should give him a call, he sounds like a nice lad, or I should give him a call, he sounds like an idiot, uh, then this morning is the time to do it, 08459 555. Got lots of texts on your first gig, or your, sorry, your best gig, I apologise, your best gig and your first memory. We'll do some more, more of those a little bit later on. I'll tell you my best gig as well. Now, the problem of empty seats has been one of the big talking points about the London Games. The British Olympic Association says it's an issue which still has to be sorted. A Milton Keynes man has had a huge response to a Twitter account that he set up to let people know when tickets became available. Let's talk to uh, Adam Naisbit from Stony Stratford. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, I'm OK, thank you. I'm, so you set up a Twitter account. What, what exactly did it do? Um, what we essentially built was a system that monitored the 2012 websites when tickets became available, posted them to Twitter so people could get a chance at getting onto the 2012 website and buying them. And uh, it sounds all perfectly legal and legit. You, were you making money off of this? No. I mean, we deliberately set out to not benefit from it other than just to give people a chance to get tickets. And how many followers did, uh, did the Twitter feed have? Um, we're just shy of about 9,000 in, wow. in just over three days. Wow. Now, I understand that um, Locog have uh, blocked the site. Yeah, it appears so. Yesterday afternoon, we stopped being able to post tweets, and um, they've changed how their server's configured so we can't access it anymore. Why would they do that, do you think? <laughs> that's, the, um, that's the big question, I suppose. Um, I, we're not sure. Um, there's a lot of speculation. We've had quite a response um, from our followers and with a lot of thoughts as to why, but we're not sure. Well, it seems odd, because if you're not making any money out of it and the, the tickets have to go, it, there's, there's nothing that I can see that's wrong about giving people a heads-up that some tickets have become available? It seems like, you know, a, a decent, public-spirited thing to do. Um, yeah, I 100% agree. And we checked the terms and conditions of their website, whether we were allowed to do it. It didn't break any of their terms and conditions or anything. Everything was 100% legit. It was having a huge impact. And they didn't reach out to us, didn't speak to us. They just cut us off dead. Uh, and so you've, you've not heard anything from local? They've not been in touch or, or, or given any explanation? No, nothing at all. How many people do you think got tickets through you, you know, via being notified by you? Um, we counted through them, and we're looking about sort of six, seven hundred people. See, that's not bad. That, that's helpful. It's pointing people. I genuinely can't see what the problem is with that. Are you going to try and, and circumvent this and, and get the information out another way? Uh, we had a look at it last night. We've, um, we've been at this pretty much all night having a look, and they've done a, if I say, a pretty good job of shutting everybody out. Well, well, Adam, um, listen, I'm sure it's not breaking any law. If it is, of course, then I couldn't condone that. But thank you very much for, for that. And let us know if, if, if anything develops, if you hear from Locock. It'll be interesting to hear from Locock and find out why they've done that. But they, um, they tend to be very quiet on things like this.
Does that, that just sounds like an, a, an all right thing to do. If, if he's not making money out of it, he's not taking, you know, even a few pence off of each ticket, he's doing it for free. He's just basically saying to people, yeah, some tickets are available now. You can go and get some tickets now. That doesn't seem like a particularly bad thing to do, does it? If you're struggling to get tickets for the Olympics, do what we did on, um, I think, Wednesday. We all went um, Paralympic crazy in the office, and the whole team had bought tickets for the Paralympics. I'm going to the women's weightlifting uh, on Saturday, the 1st of September. Lots of team going to the uh, athletics. They're going without me. I wasn't invited to that group outing. That's a real, real blow. But there's a picture in the Daily Mirror uh, on... And this is... This is... This is um, for the squeamish, it's been quite a, a graphic breakfast <laughs> this morning, with Dennis talking about having his tonsils out as a, as a toddler. Uh, and the Daily Mirror, page seven. There's a weightlifter. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the weightlifting. I find it just intriguing that someone would, would do that. Uh, there's a South Korean weightlifter. I, I shan't even attempt the name. But he reels back in agony... After his elbow snapped out of the joint as he tried to lift a 162-kilogram bar. The picture is incredible. His elbow snaps. We're talking about clicking our bones before we came on air. Imagine that one clicking. Spectators at London's XL venue watched in horror as uh, Sar 27 fell to the floor screaming in pain. Officials rushed to his aid and he was taken to hospital where he was treated for a dislocated elbow. Uh, (laughs) See, things like that really upset me, but they fascinate me at the same time. Got some, um, some texts in. What have we got here? Let's have a little look at these, shall we? Ah, first memory. Your earliest memory. My first memory is really boring. Normally it's something quite traumatic. Uh, you know, we had Dennis talking about going to have his tonsils taken out and having the ether, you know, the mask approaching his face or the cotton wool soaked in ether approaching his face. Mine was me... I remember, I remember I was holding on to the legs of the, the coffee table in our house, peering round, looking at my mum, thinking, I am three. That's it, my first memory. It's rubbish. 08459 555 April says, my earliest memory was the day my sister was born, six, day, six days before I was 18 months old. That's quite early. Helen in Milton Keynes says, my earliest memory in my pram, pram at approximately seven months old, my elder brother in front on his pram seat, and my sister, age three, walking with mum, dressed in a winter coat. My sister throwing snowballs. It was February. That's very early. And, and kind of sometimes you have to think, do you actually remember that? There are things from my childhood that I'm not sure if I remember, or if I've just heard the story so many times, that I think that I remember. So it, it's difficult to tell. Uh, talking about the best concert you've ever been to, Graham in Dunstable, Really? Ali Campbell in his first solo concert after leaving UB40 at the Royal Albert Hall will be the best one for me. Awesome! Really? I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised. But, but well done. If it's, if it's the best concert you've ever been to, then that's good. I'll tell you mine. My best concert I've ever been to uh, was... I can't remember the exact year. It was probably... I was probably about 14, so it's about 87, maybe 88. Neil Diamond, Wembley Arena. He was playing in the round. It was fantastic! He had the lasers going. He came. It was superb. Neil Diamond, even now, and he's uh, he's 116 years old. But even now, if you get the chance to see him, he'll do a tour uh, probably this year, maybe next year. He's, he comes over every two or three years. Go and see him. He's one of those people who won't be around forever, shall we say, delicately, because he's getting on a little bit. Go and see him because he is fantastic. The voice is a little bit gruffer. The songs are probably a, a, a key lower, but it's just a fantastic show. My best for me. 
Um, first memories. My first memory, says M, was when I was about three in 1937. Being, I'm trying to do the math to work it out. I can't. Uh, being ill in bed. My older sister was also ill, and I listened to her tummy rumble. <laughs> hey! I also remember the icicles on the nearby waterfall during that year's harsh winter. Wow. Thank you, Em. And uh, Jez in High Wycombe, his first memory. My very first memory was my mum finding me on the stone floor of our pantry, surrounded by dog biscuits. I had pulled the sack open and was eating them off the floor. Not sure how old I was, about two to three, I think, but was always reminded of it years later and probably explains why I'm barking mad. Oh, cheers. You let that one... Let that one sneak through. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Friday the 3rd of August, 7.45. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Agony and ecstasy for two Bedfordshire Olympians yesterday as Team GB won three more gold medals. The agony came for Stockfold cyclist Victoria Pendleton, who was disqualified in the team sprint, but there was ecstasy for Bedford's Etienne Stott in the canoe slalom. Royal Bank of Scotland has just announced half-yearly losses of £1.5 billion. The banking group, which is 82% owned by the taxpayer, has also had to set aside millions of pounds to compensate customers affected by a variety of controversies. In sport, Milton Keynes Dons play their uh, home, sorry, their first home pre-season friendly this evening as they host Premier League side Norwich at Stadium MK. And the weather for beds, hearts and bucks, some bright or sunny intervals, but rather cloudy at times with the chance of scattered showers. Top temperature 22 degrees Celsius. Coming up, residents around Barnfield met last night to discuss plans to develop the playing fields near the college. Our reporter was there. We'll hear from him next. The greatest diver of all time was at Decorum Sports Centre in Hemel Hempstead last night. Greg Luganis is an Olympic ambassador and mentor to the US diving team. Our reporter Justin Daly went along to meet Greg. So Greg, welcome to the programme. The greatest diver of all time, and here you are at my local diving club. What on earth is going on? <laughs> I, you know, it, 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 it's great to be here and, and you know visit upcoming clubs that are you know that are doing some hard work i mean these are the programs that are going to feed into you know the the national teams so you never know where you're going to find your talent forget about the uk for a second let's talk about the us because your job at the moment is is to be a mentor to the us diving squad three medals already and the first medal since 2000 an incredible start for you it really is i mean when we came into this olympic games um we did only get one medal in, in, in 2000. Fortunately, it was gold, and it was Laura Wilkinson. But, I mean, we haven't gotten a, been on the, on, the, on the awards podium since then. And so our goal going into this Olympic Games was to be able to get a team or individual on the podium. We didn't care what color medal it was. And now, after four events, we've got three medals. So hopefully we can maintain that, that momentum. But if we don't do anything else beyond that it's a success it's a huge success you've won not one not two not three but four olympic gold medals now you of course you won a gold medal in your home nation in 1984 when you're on that podium when they're placing that medal around your neck just try and describe what that feeling is like you know they're playing your national anthem after they put the medal around your neck and they're playing your national anthem i mean it's 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 a tremendous amount, amount of pride it, it, it really is too much for an individual to take in oh my god i'm representing my country you know but the thing where my my where my mind went was you know my coach you know who coached me on a daily basis you know some 
sometimes when you know, it was raining, sometimes you know, in, in inclement weather, uh, my teammates who kind of spurred me on. I, I'm a firm believer you don't achieve greatness on your own. There's always somebody there, whether it be a supportive teammate, whether it be a coach, whether it be a parent, whether it be a friend. Absolutely legendary. This week, of course, one of the big stories has been about Tom Daly and the fact that he's had lots of abuse on Twitter. What's your reaction to all of that? <laughs> Well, when I was working with, with the kids before we left home, that was one of the things that I told them going into this competition. Uh, I said, the day of competition, put your phones on airplane mode uh, so that you don't have access to your Twitter, you don't have access to Facebook, you're not texting, you know, so that you can focus on what you're there for. You have the power to choose where you want to put your energy. And, uh, you know, I, I would want my divers to, uh, the divers that I work with, to put their energy into something positive. You know, what they're doing at that moment in time. You know, not what people may be thinking of you. I mean, I, I, I love practicing, you know, what others think of me is none of my business. And finally, I've got to try and get this in. I, I want you to, to, to try and help me with a family dispute over years here because... Uh, <laughs> don't uh -oh. worry. Is there don't worry. Bet? <laughs> There's not a bet here, but I want your advice because uh, whenever I go away, I always take a pair of very tight shorts with me. Now, you being the greatest diver of all time, you have seen lots of tight shorts in your time. Here are my tight swimming shorts that I tend to take away with me. Now, uh, come on, Greg. Come on. If anybody can give me advice, you can. Are these shorts too tight? What do you think? You know what? They, those are age appropriate. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I'd go with it. You know, they're age appropriate. I mean, they're not those little bikini, you know, like a, a thong. You know, if, if you were wearing a thong, I might, you know, yeah. I might say, you know, hey, yeah. you know, yeah. you should look in the mirror before you leave the house. It's a bit too much. Greg, loving your work. Thank you so much for your time. What a surprise to see you here at my local sports club. Absolutely superb. Enjoy the rest of London 2012. Thank you. I, I will. Definitely. I've just been uh, handed this. Uh, I'd like to apologise for anybody who was offended by the image of Justin Dealey in very tight swimming shorts. What an, <laughs> it's been one of those shows where we've just bombarded you <laughs> with quite unpleasant pictures into your mind. That was Greg Luganis, uh, Olympic ambassador and, and just the greatest diver of all time, speaking to Justin Dealey there. Now, we talked about this on yesterday's show uh, quite a bit. Plans for a new school. 39 houses and an 88-bedroom care home on a college playing field in Luton have been submitted. The development on Barnfield College's field and Old Bedford Road has already been strongly criticised by local residents and politicians. Residents met last night to discuss the plans. Our reporter, Toby Friedner, was there. Well, I'm at a public meeting of concerned residents of the uh, Barnfield area of Luton. And I'm uh, with their unofficial spokesperson, uh, Cliff Robertson. There must be 200 people here already. I had a quick count a little while ago and there are about 140. That's gone up considerably. So it's a massive turnout. We expected, or I expected, about 50 to 60. So well, Why are people so passionate about it? Uh, all of these people have moved into this area over the years. Many have been here for a long time. And one of the attractions of the area is this patch of green space. It makes the area what it is. And uh, the council trying to take that away really which is what they're doing everywhere else in the borough, we have to say, is the wrong thing to do. Looking at it objectively, and I'm not somebody who lives very close by, it's a field. So what's the problem? It's a field that's been open access for everyone in the town. And let's be clear, I've, I've had people come up to me at work, and I work away from the town, but people who live in Toddington and Helm Regis are aware of Barnfield. Their children play football on there. There's a massive number of people that use that field 
unofficially. Well, about an hour and 20 minutes later, and uh, the meeting's just coming to an end. I'm with uh, Councillor Rachel Hopkins, who's one of the councillors in this ward, and you're a Labour councillor, aren't you? That's right, yes, I'm a Labour councillor for Barnfield Ward. So, this is your administration, who some people fear are going to concrete over the green spaces of Luton. I think we're a long way off from any of that yet. Um, this is an application for a development that's been put in by the Barnfield Federation. There's a long process to go through, part of which is a very, very important consultation with local residents. And so tonight I'm really pleased to see how many people have turned out to put their views forward. But there, there does seem to be, and I guess that's because there have been other planning applications that have succeeded um, to build on green spaces in Luton, that there is a genuine fear that this is going to be an ongoing theme. How will you reassure people that it's not? One of the reasons why uh, there have been some uh, approvals of recent housing developments is the housing crisis we do have in Luton. It's been talked about tonight already, the, the need for both social housing and other development. Um, as you know, it's a quasi-judicial process, um, the Development Control Committee, uh, of which it is up to individual councillors to make their decisions. So my influence on them would not be tenable. However, it is local residents being consulted who will have the biggest influence when they put in their objections based on the planning grounds of any application. And that's why it's so important that we have this meeting tonight. And are you supporting those residents in your ward in doing that? Yes, my role is to make sure that they can put forward um, all the reasons um, why they don't support the development as it stands. There are many unanswered questions and I think it's absolutely vital that these questions are dealt with prior to the application being considered. One of the other people involved in the protest is um, Shaffer. Hello. Hi. Why are you so passionate about this? I've lived near the field all my life. I play sports on there. Um, I sometimes go jogging when I'm in the mood. When I had my GCSEs, we did a big practice rehearsal of our drama. Um, so I use it for quite a few things. You may be aware that Luton has a housing crisis. There just aren't enough houses for people to live in in the town. They've got to go somewhere. Why can't they go here? I think the first option is brownfield sites. What is happening to Power Court opposite St Mary's? That's a huge plot. That needs to be looked into first before they start building on green fields. Well, yesterday on breakfast, I spoke to the interim principal of Barnfield College, Alan Newington. The development planned is a proposal at this moment. We're into a consultation stage and we are going through this process with the in full cooperation, in full communication with Luton Bar Council's uh, planning department. This is a smaller scheme than the original scheme, which was given outline planning permission um, about oh, three or four years ago. A, a far smaller scheme than that one. Um, that had outline planning permission after a consultation involving the local neighbours. And I've been at the college quite a long while, and I can remember way back, probably in the 1990s, we did have outline plan permission to put housing all round the field. Supposing the residents are 100% against it, would you listen to them and stop the plans? We have to move the college forward. The Luton Bar Council will obviously take into account, Luton Bar Council's plan department will obviously take into account all the um, concerns of the local community and anybody else because there's people uh, travelling to Luton who go past there. Um, any traffic concerns will also be a concern from people travelling outside Luton. Oh, well, if this affects you and you want to have your say, either for or against, uh, you know, I don't want to, to appear that we are in any way biased on this. We're keen to get both uh, opinions. 08459. 
four double five five double five. Maybe you live there and you think it's just going to be awful, or maybe you you agree with uh, what Toby said. Uh, I reported that there is a housing problem in Luton and houses have to go somewhere. So why not there? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We were talking earlier on about a gentleman who'd set up a Twitter feed that has since been closed by Locog that alerted you. When Olympic tickets became available. Brian's in High Wycombe. Brian, you, you've been able to go to the Olympics, have you? No, I've got to... Well, no, I'd be uh, pleased to go to a paraplegic rowing because it's impossible for me um, to get rowing tickets. Having been to the 48 games, oh. three days rutted, I oh. have the programmes here for those. How, how did you get tickets? Did you just turn up in 1948? Did you? I, no, I suppose right. Twitter wasn't around then, was it? <laughs> just got in the back of the dad's red bike, and we just went down to Henley, and uh, yeah, just like going to a football match. Superb. <laughs> so you just, you just turned up on your back of your dad's bike, and you went and watched it. Well, it must have been incredibly exciting, the 1948 Olympics. Absolutely. After that everything one of that, my first memories. But, uh, is it really? How old were you, Brian, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, well, then, I was uh, 48, I was 14 then. OK. Obviously, I've got earlier wartime yeah. memories, which yeah. are vivid. <laughs> but it must, be, it must have been great after, you, you know, the, everything that happened in the previous few years with the war, to oh, suddenly have this great celebration and release a little bit after it. Absolutely. I think the Portuguese school was at Wickham Grammar School, where I was at the time, and, um, uh, yes, we were... But not to the extent they are nowadays. It was just, oh, we've got the Portuguese team at school in the holiday. And, um, yes, and then it's just uh, not so many events, of course, not such yeah. <laughs> extraordinary events going on. But, uh, yes, uh, it was, uh, I could certainly remember the vote rowing, yes. Brian, thank you very much. Brian in High Wycombe there, showing his memories of the 1948 uh, Olympics. And, you know, we've kind of been throwing back to that because it, it, it is amazing to think that there was a war going on and then the war ended, and everyone was a bit miserable. Then we had the Olympics. It must have been a real light at the, uh, you know, at the end of the tunnel there. This is my last hour of The Breakfast Show coming up, and in it we'll be talking more about uh, your first memory, the best gig, Etienne Stott, and more on those trees that we discussed yesterday, the ones that are making everyone cough. All of that and more after the news and sport with Simon Oxley. Thank you, Simon. It's past eight. It's Friday the 3rd of August. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. My last 56 minutes coming up in the next hour. More about the best gig you've ever been to. More on your first memories. We'll also be talking about those trees in that market. Remember yesterday we talked about it? How there are things, hairs dropping off the trees, getting people to cough. Well, we've got an update on that story. Also more about the Olympics. Of course, it would be rude not to. And hopefully, Jonathan Vernon Smith will pop in at his allotted time. He was late yesterday didn't quite buy his excuse. He's due in at about 16 minutes past the hour. If he's not in at that time, I shall take it as a personal snub. Hopefully he will be. You've got 55 minutes to give me a call. I would do it now while the lines are free. 08459 455 555. Inley, BBC Three Counties Radio. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Very quickly, before we go on to the next uh, item, Etienne Stott, uh, we're talking about your first ever memory. Now, Susie, I, listen, I, I don't want to, to say that anybody has made anything up in this story, but listen to this, dear listener, and let me know if you think this is true or indeed possible. Susie says, This will sound a bit bonkers, but our son's earliest memory is before he was born? No way indeed! He once told me he could remember being in my tummy 
No, I'm not. Susie, he said that it was a bit red in colour and could hear my heartbeat as well as my muffled voice. He was three at the time. He now has a photographic memory and can read pages of books in seconds and minute details, so I have no reason to doubt him. Susie... I don't want to say that you or your son have imagined... Is that, I don't even know if that's possible. Is that possible to, to remember what happened before you were born? We need a doctor. Somebody get me a doctor and tell me, <laughs> tell me this. 08459 455. I'm throwing those on the floor and I have a few more texts that we'll do in there a bit later on. Now, the big news uh, for three counties is that Bedford's Etienne Stott and partner Tim Bailey won gold at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre in Hertfordshire yesterday. It was a double victory for Team GB with Richard Hounslow and David Florence taking silver. Brings our tally up to 15 medals, including, including five gold. Our Olympics reporter, Luke Ashmead, was there watching. I must warn you, he gets very excited in this clip. Oh, Florence and Hounslow are going to take gold! Are they going to take gold at Lee Valley? No! It takes silver at Lee Valley Whitewater Centre! GB have taken gold <laughs> and silver! Unbelievable scenes! Unbelievable scenes inside the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre! Tim Bailey from Bedford... Uh, Tim Bailey and Etienne Stott from Bedford have taken the gold medal in the C2 event at the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre in Hertfordshire. The silver medal goes to uh, David Florence and Richard Hounslow. I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. I love the excitement there. It's fantastic. Well, is his voice still intact? Let's find out. Uh, Luke is on the line now. Good morning, Luke. Can you talk us through yesterday, please? Yes, I certainly can. My voice has recovered slightly. That's what tea in the morning does for you. I tell you, it gets you, gets you, gets you there. It was, it was a quite unbelievable day. You can hear that commentary, and I'm cringing listening back to that commentary. I have to say, um, the day started uh, for uh, for the GB boats with optimism. The the first thing they needed to do was get to the final. There was nothing else in the mines. No medals in the mines. Just get to the final. Uh, the way it worked, in there were ten boats yesterday. Ten two man boats. Uh, Austria, Czech Republic, uh, Great Britain, Slovakia, Poland, uh, China, all represented, and France, of course. Uh, the top times from six boats, the top six boats would go through to the final. So that's how it worked. One run down the white water course, and the top six boats uh, would uh, get through. It transpired that Etienne Stott and Tim Bailey set the sixth fastest time. They got in. Uh, David Florence and Richard Hounslow actually were fastest in, the, in that semi-final, and they went through. So what it meant was, come the final, Tim Bailey and Etienne Stott would go first because they finished sixth, and David Florence and Richard Hounslow would go last because they finished first, if that makes sense. Um, Tim Bailey and Etienne Stomp went. Um, the crowd, I have to tell you, th- th- there was a feeling. People sensed that something was happening. I-, I can't quite explain it. It's one of those things in life and in sport that it's, it's very difficult to explain. So Etienne Stott and Tim Bailey headed down the course. They set a time of 106.41. Now, just looking at my notes, looking at my sheets, thinking about what's happened in recent days... Richard Hounslow and David Florence had set a time in the semi-finals of 108.93. That was the fastest time. Stott and Bailey had just set a time of 106.41. I called it. I called it on drive time last night. I said, that's a medal-winning run. I didn't say what medal, but that was a medal-winning run. Uh, It went through paddler after paddler after paddler. They didn't beat Etienne, Stott and Tim Bailey. It got to the point where we knew they had a silver medal. 
And then it got to the point where Richard Hounslow and David Florence were on the top of the run with Bailey and Stott still in gold place. And we knew whatever happened, gold place, uh, gold medal was assured for Team GB. Incredible finish considering that uh, Hounslow and Florence finished less than half a second behind Bailey and Stott. What a day. Couldn't have gone any better. Luke, it was very, very exciting, and uh, your, your, your enthusiasm has come through for the, the whole week that we've been chatting about this, and I really appreciate that, Scott. Thank you very much. Uh, Luke, sorry. Thank you. Luke Ashmead there. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, very exciting stuff. If you, if you uh, were there, did you enjoy it? Was it as exciting as Luke said? It sounds like it was pretty good. Well, 15 medals, including five gold, and there are high hopes of more medals today. Let's catch up with our Olympics correspondent, Jane Prendergast. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. Uh, an incredible day for Team GB on what's been called by somebody super Thursday. Yes, they love to put these labels on yeah. there, don't they? But of course, you know, the canoe slalom, that's my new favourite sport. It was amazing to watch and uh, incredible achievement for the gold and the silver. Fantastic. But, uh, you know, of course, we had Sir Chris Hoy weeping on the podium as he received his fifth gold medal, which, of course, brings him equal to Sir Steve Redgrave in the achievements table. He got that, of course, as part of the sprint team in the velodrome. And we also had um, Peter Wilson in the double trap shooting, a surprise silver for Gemma Gibbons, who couldn't stop crying after she'd finished the judo. We were all going to tissues watching her. And, uh, of course, um, earlier in the day, we'd had a silver from the lightweight men's fours as well in the rowing. Not only is it an enormous boost for Team GB, but a hike up the medals table. I think we went from 21st to 11th and then yesterday 11th to fifth so we are looking much better and of course um you know how much good that will have done for the team morale um yesterday super thursday today we're hoping for fantastic friday well the athletics start today what can we expect to see in track and field we can expect well you can expect to see the olympic flame for one i've just seen it in the stadium um looking amazing we haven't seen it for a week but um jessica ennis is among the first team gb stars in action um of course uh, heptathlon um her event we will see four of the seven disciplines in that today we will see the world champion die green he's also the team gb athletics captain he goes in the men's 400 meters hurdles christine ohurugu goes in the women's 400 meters of course she the defending Olympic champion Carl Myersko, who is uh, nicknamed the Blackpool Tower. You can imagine why he is from Lancashire and he's very tall. Ah. Um, he's in the shot put. Um, and the final of that, that's the first medal available in the athletics. Uh, you can see the final of that at about half past eight. And uh, tonight, Julia Bleasdale and Joe Pavey are in the women's 10,000 metres final. So if you fancied it, Ian, you could actually watch athletics well, and, and many other sports available as well. But it, it's really from morn till evening today. Jane, thank you very much. That's our Olympic uh, uh, correspondent. Jane, uh, again, thank you for all, you, making this so easy for me this week, Jane Prendergast. And of course, earlier on, we heard uh, from Luke Ashmead. Uh, we were talking earlier on about the plans for Barnfield College to um, build on their playing fields uh, a care home, houses and a new free school. Esther is in Luton. Good morning, Esther. Hi, good morning. You, you live in this area, do you? Yeah, I live in Farley Hill area. What, so do, you, what do you make of these work. plans? Um, I've got two points to make. One's a cynical about Lutonborough Council and one's a maybe. Um, the cynical one is Lutonborough Council probably let it go through because of the amount of revenue they're going to get from this. Um, the second one is I wake up at half five to go to work for seven, sort of get to work at 8.20. And I go past uh, the main sort of entrance, which is Old Bedford Road. And normally the traffic is quite tight there. 
Now, with all these cars and people moving in and care homes visitors and whatnot, you're going to get double the traffic. Now, yeah. that's amazing because I don't know who's driving, you know, or what sort of house it's going to be. But I think it's a really bad idea. Because you, th- you think, what well, traffic's going to be worse? Is this going to make the area worse? I think the traffic's going to be doubled. Mm. Um, but not only that, that field is lovely. I mean, my kid used to play, um, he used to train with Luton Town Football Club there. Esther, so these, uh, Esther there's, a, there's a housing problem, as we've heard in Luton. It, the yeah. Houses have got to be built somewhere. Where would you suggest, if not there? Right, give me time to look at that, and I will give you some answers on that one. Esther, I, I, look, for- one. I look forward to speaking <laughs> to you a bit later on, then. Esther's going to do some research for us. It's very kind of Esther and Luton, thank you very much. Moving on, just because uh, the time is against us, and I want to get as many people on the line as we can, but thank you for your call, Esther. Uh, we're talking about the first gig you've ever been to. Matt is in Luton. Good morning. Uh, sorry, not the first gig. The best gig. I told you my memory was bad, didn't I? You wouldn't believe me. Matt in Luton, what's the best gig you've ever been to? Uh, the Highwayman Tour... In uh, Albert Hall, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson. Fantastic. Do you know what? I was toying with the idea of going to see them. This, I was, was, this, was this in the late 80s? Yes. I was toying with the idea of going to see them, and I didn't. And it's, it's one of my big regrets that I didn't go and see those legends. Well, and they are country legends on stage at the same time. W- what was so good about it, Matt? Well, they, at that time, the reason they formed this, Johnny Cash, was they were drying out Chris Christopherson yep. from the drugs, and uh, he, they started doing writing these songs, and then they decided to take it on the road, and it was, uh, they had the three greatest albums ever. Mm. And you on about Bob Dylan? Yeah, terrible. Bob Dylan's the greatest songwriter ever. Whoa, 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 Matt. And you, wait one minute, you just listened to Bob Dylan singing Forever Young? Have you heard of it? I, I have heard of it. I, I, well, the, the version of Forever La- Young, La- let's get geeky for a second, live uh, on, yeah. with the band on The Last Waltz is passable. But it's not It's not one of the greatest songs of all time, Matt. Well, if not for you, Livia Newton-John. Well, Matt, I, I, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one, but I will certainly nod to you and salute you for going to see The Highwaymen. Fantastic band. I just don't get Dylan. I don't get Dylan. I've worked at it. It's, it's not me being lazy. I've really, really worked at it. It's Hearts and Bugs News. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Friday the 3rd of August. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The Royal Mail are issuing another gold medal stamp today, featuring Bedford's Etienne Stott following his victory in yesterday's Olympic canoe slalom at the Lee Valley Centre in Hertfordshire. Royal Bank of Scotland has announced half-yearly losses of £1.5 billion. RBS, which is 82% owned by the taxpayer, has set aside £125 million to compensate customers affected by the computer system's failure in June. In sport, Milton Keynes Dons play their first home pre-season friendly this evening as they host Premier League side Norwich at Stadium MK. We'll have full sports bulletin in 15 minutes or thereabouts with Simon Oxley. Weather soon with Chris Bell. And coming up, today is one year on from the summer riots. A whole year has gone by. We'll remember what happened and look at the possibility of it happening again next on Breakfast. I, 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 I say this every morning, and really, they should record what um, Jonathan Vernon-Smith and myself say off-air and then burn those tapes. Because, let's be honest, it's filthy. <laughs> <laughs> it is filthy and completely unbroadcastable. Lovely to see you on time this morning. Oh, Surprise. yes, really. Wasn't sure what would happen, but you've, you've made it. Excellent stuff. Yes. And well, you look very smart as well. Oh, thanks very much. You like it? Yes, uh, yes I do. Yes. Shirt and suit combo. Do you ever think of going for the Justin Dealey and just undoing those next two buttons down on the shirt? Well, I mean, uh, 
what all, what, all the way down here? That's what Daly does. No, I don't think so. Okay. Only ju- You've got to have pecs like Justin He's to be able to do that. He's stacked, I think, is the, the word. Stacked, <laughs> the word? He's fairly stacked. He's ripped. <laughs> He's ripped. <laughs> What have you got coming up on your show this morning? Coming up on the big phone in this morning, have you become addicted to the Olympics? I kind of know what your answer to that would be. In the, the whole world is talking about London 2012, and as Britain's medal success continues to ramp up, thousands of us have become gripped by what's happening at the Olympic venues. Radio and TV is swamped with coverage, and sports that don't usually get much airtime, like clay pigeon shooting and kayaking, have now become the nation's hot topics. So from nine this morning, I want to know from you have you been swept up in all of this have you become addicted to the olympics most of our office upstairs mm. have become completely and utterly addicted to it yes i have even found myself watching some events and i'm the least sporty person i know what events what, what events have you been watching i watched enjoying? a bit of the kayaking yesterday yeah i watched a little bit of the women's judo that terrified the living daylights out of me good grief <laughs> You wouldn't want to come across one of them down a dark alley, would you? Certainly wouldn't. Dear, oh dear. But even I, as someone who doesn't like sport, has found myself becoming just a little bit caught mm. up in the Olympics. Mm. So are we all becoming addicted? addicted and the, uh, you know the signs on the side of the roads? It says, inspire a generation, and yes. things like that. Yes. Well, has it inspired us? Has oh. it inspired every single generation? Are we now going to become... Have people started rooting out the trainers at the back of the wardrobe dusting off the bike in the in the garage i did pump up the tires on my bike the bike has been down the side of my house for two years i pumped the tires up at the weekend and then it started to drizzle i thought i'll put it back and i've not got it out since i don't think i ever will <laughs> maybe another week that will uh, that will have the effect on you possibly yes uh, so from nine this morning have you become addicted to the olympics perhaps you're still thinking no 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 sooner it's over the better oh eight four five nine four double five five double five from nine i'd love your calls jonathan thank you very much see you later on Th- thank show. you for everything you've done come back won't you uh, uh, well yes Okay, if you put it like that, I will. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, thanks very much. Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be on at nine o'clock. It's always worth a listen. I I, I thoroughly recommend uh, that you check him out. Now, it's 8.21. Let's get the latest weather with Chris Bell. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Chris, over to you, sir. Good morning, Ian. Well, that's it for your weather. Chris Bell? Yes? Or should I say... At Stormbell. Yes. Have you just started following me on Twitter? I did, yeah. Oh, I, I was looking at your face as you, as you did the weather It was there. thanks to Kelly. She, uh, she, uh, Facebooked and said that go, everyone should follow you. And they should do. Chris, thank you very much. There we go. Um, I, I flirt with Twitter every now and then. I have moments where I'm really into it. At Ian Lee, if you want to come and join, it's I-A-I-N-L-W. And then I have, I have long extended periods where I think, oh, it's, it's a nonsense and it's silly. But, um, th- at the moment I'm kind of back into it again. Now, as you wake up, um, oh no, hang on, yes, of course, so you wake up this morning, are you feeling proud to be British after the Olympic wins? Well, just cast your mind back one year ago and think how different it was. Burning buildings, smashed shop windows, it was quite scary. I remember, with the riots taking place, I was genuinely a little bit scared. One in four 12 to 18-year-olds say they think the riots could happen again. Well, last year, our reporter, Justin Dealey, spoke to teenagers in the three counties and asked them whether they would get involved in a riot in their local town. Yeah. <laughs> you seriously would do? Yeah, it looks fun. So you think looting shops... Uh, oh, no, I wouldn't loot shops. It's just like, I think... F- <laughs> no, I mean, like, like just throwing bricks at police. That'd be funny. But this idea of throwing bricks at the police because it's fun, <laughs> why would that be fun? Because, like, it's funny if you see someone get hit with a brick. Are you actually being serious? Yeah. Have you not seen someone get hit with a brick? Well, why do you think that's funny? It's pro- oh, trust me, it's really good. Like, if you see someone get hit with a brick in the face and they drop and cry, it's just funny. 
It's just a bit nuts, isn't it? I would, if I was them, I would be robbing bare stuff and selling it. Just, just quick little, get a touch, wouldn't you? Just get a little Apple Mac and you can sell it. So if there was a riot where you live, would you actively get involved? Would you actively go into the shop? Would you actively loot? I don't know, I'd probably send some little, like, younger in there to go and get it. And then they can't give it to me. So then I don't do nothing wrong. Well, I think uh, the scene's horrific. But I think, given that, if kids were, had like, more things to do around town, then I think then it wouldn't have happened. I really like to think that the best of people, and I, I, I really hope that they were just playing up to, to the microphone. Otherwise, that's terrifying. Well, one of the teenagers there said they think the riots wouldn't have happened if there were more things for them to do. A recent poll reveals that many youngsters feel the same. Wasim Khan is from the Cricket Foundation and commissioned this poll. Good morning, Wasim. Good morning. Tell us what you found in the poll. Um, we found that, um, as you mentioned earlier, that one in four young people felt that, um, that, the, the, that the riots that took place last year could potentially bubble up again. But well over 50% of them actually felt that if there were free sporting activities put on for them, that that would act as a diversionary activity for them and actually get them involved in something more structured, allow them to kind of vent some of their frustrations in a structured way. Could the riots have... Um been prevented do you think if this this had been in place uh, whether it could have been prevented or not is is uh, i guess a, a different sort of matter i mean could it have been one of the the things that could have prohibited or stopped uh, or, or reduced the amount of rights that took place then possibly i think that you know if we look at our street chance project that we're running we're working with twenty five thousand young people across seven cities and what we do is we get the local police forces involved in those sessions that take place. And trust is one of the things that came out of the survey as well, a lack of trust with the local police, um, the fact that they don't really understand what some of their issues are. And we've, we found throughout the seven cities that we're working in that by actually getting the police involved, we're able to run workshops at these cricket sessions that take place. And they can start to understand a little bit more about what the local issues are and what might be bubbling under the surface so they can actually put a stop to it before it even starts. Why should we have to do things for young people to stop them committing crimes they're old enough to know that they're doing wrong and they should be able to stop themselves shouldn't they oh, of course look you know taking ownership of your own life is 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 hugely important you know i i grew up playing um, sport in a in a structured way and that actually gave me some direction so if we know that a lot of these young people don't have direction currently and one of the other things they cited was the lack of jobs you know boredom copycat behavior those sorts of things if 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 they're there just to feed off each other then surely we've got some responsibility to say well look, let's find you some direction okay because ideally we'd love you to have it but you don't have it let's find a way of actually engaging you in something st structured and something where you can actually get involved engaged and actually we can try and get you into something positive wasim khan thank you very much wasim is from the uh, cricket foundation and commissioned uh, the poll that revealed a lot of teenagers think that the riots could happen again it does it does make me wonder oh, yes there should be um, you, know, you know more things that that young people should do but is that enough really uh, from speaking to my friends it the opinion seems to be that it, it was just the general bleakness of life ahead of them not just what they didn't have at the moment but what they wouldn't have in the future jobs security things like that oh eight four five nine four double five five double five um let's have a quick look at some of these texts first memory from sue my first memory was about 20 months old sitting on the pram seat with my brother in the pram i was trying to get into the pram next to it's odd the things that stick in your head isn't it and we're asking what's the best gig you've ever been to um do you include classical concerts yes i do i do because I went to Kenwood, or Kenwood in uh, Hampstead, North London, to hear the Royal Philharmonic. 
Uh, and we have a well-known conductor, Douglas Coombs, who has a series of proms in the park going on as part of this year's promenade concerts. Uh, yes, the, the Kenwood House uh, concerts are fantastic. I saw Brian, not quite as classy, I saw Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys there. Fantastic night, lovely weather, had a picnic, and then we saw him singing a load of Beach Boys songs. Also saw Vanessa Feltz dancing in the front row. That wasn't quite such a highlight. It was still exciting to go, oh, look, there's Vanessa Feltz. Um, and on Facebook, loads of people. Best gig, says John, was Natalie Merchant in 1995... There was Natalie, but was she in, um, what was she, was she in a thousand maniacs or something? Ten thousand maniacs or something. Uh, Lynn Henderson. The best gigs, Rod Stewart, circa 1980 in Dusseldorf. And Gillen, supported by Tigers of Pentang in Hanover about a million years ago. Well, you're really, you're really trolling these names out, aren't you? Uh, you can text 81333, start your text 3CL. We've got half an hour. I'd really like to talk to you. 08459 455 555. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio, your breakfast show here until nine o'clock. Uh, and then Jonathan Vernon Smith will be taking over. Earlier this week on this show, we heard how market traders in Hatfield are complaining that the trees are putting off customers and new traders from coming there. It's because a powdery substance that comes off the leaves is causing people to cough. The town was chosen, along with 15 others, to receive £100,000 from the government as part of the Mary Porter's pilot last week. But despite numerous requests, they say nothing has been done to rectify the problem. Market trader Andrew Lester told BBC Three Counties he suffers from Hatfield hay fever. I never suffer from hay fever anywhere else, anywhere in the country, or the world comes to that, only when I come to Hatfield. I've been trading on the market now 12 years. Every Wednesday and Saturday, bring my antihistamines with me to take, purely because I'm suffering hay fever here. A drastic trim of the trees is needed. It's the pollen in the summer here. You can see it, the naked eye, very, very clearly. It just gets everybody's throats, the coughing and spluttering. Horrendous. On Wednesday, I spoke to Councillor Mandy Perkins, who told me they'd never heard of this problem. The young leaves, um, and the leaves in general, but they do have minute hairs on them which are an irritant if breathed in and can exacerbate breathing difficulties with people if they've got things like asthma. I suspect that the traders have actually been complaining to the market operator. Uh, that's what they said, I think, yeah. yeah. And those complaints haven't been passed on to us as a council. I mean, they're, they're, quite, they're, they're very well-established trees. They've been there many, many years, mm. and this is the first time we've had... Um, any comments about them? Well, shortly after that, Hatfield Town Councillor Dean Archer rang our newsroom to say that he had raised the issues of the trees of the borough council. He's on the line now. Good morning, Dean. Good morning, Ian. And also Councillor Mandy Perkins is with us as well. Good morning, Mandy. Morning, Ian. Dean, Good morning, tell, Dean. tell us morning, more. Mandy. When did you first realise there was an issue with the trees, Dean? Uh, when I was a market trader. Uh, that was a fair, fair number of years ago now, but I was on there for five years, along with my wife. Uh, and then I, I started suffering. I've never had hay fever before. My eyes used to stream. Uh, and I was advised by other market traders that it was the pollen, because there's, like, fine hairs on the trees. Uh, it was reported, uh, and the Borough Council are aware of it. Ma- maybe Mandy hasn't been told. But then when the Porter's pilot started, uh, I, I showed uh, Councillor Lynn Sparks around the market area and pointed out problems with the trees. And she said she would report this to the borough council. So let, let me just get this right. So you're saying that it, that it was reported what initially a few years ago? Yes. Uh, how many years ago would you say? Uh, oh, 
all, maybe four or five. Okay, and then it's been re- re- reported more recently with the Porter's Pilot uh, it project. Yes, it was also mentioned uh, at the uh, one of the initial town team meetings. Uh, Mr. Conway, Chris Conway, who's uh, now director at the Borough Council, he was made aware. As is John Dean and uh, Mike Story, who's the estates manager and oversees the market. Mandy, uh, Councillor Mandy Perkins, what do you say about that? Because you said that you hadn't had any complaints, and, and, and uh, Dean is saying that he's complained a few times. Well, I, th- I, I, I don't doubt that Dean has, has, has made complaints and made comments. My problem is uh, I've looked through all the official records of complaints and comments to the council and haven't found anything. Um, and that, that's, that's an issue, obviously, where we need to make sure that people do complain in the right or make comments in the right way. Um, I've spoken to, we've spoken to the officers concerned, particularly Chris Conway and Mike Story. Neither of them can recollect Dean having said anything to them. I know that I know that Lynn Sparks had dealt with issues to do with leaves on the ground because I've spoken to the environmental services area of the of the council. But apart from that, I I've, I mean I've spent the last two days getting people to you know, go through their records and can't find anything at all. The only thing I will say is that, um, as I said on Wednesday, plane trees are very common, very widely used throughout the country. Um, In the market in particular, uh, they're used because they do provide, because they do have a great canopy, you know, big canopy, so they do provide um, protection from the sun and actually some protection from the rain. But I have agreed that I will, uh, that, well, I have asked um, one of our tree people to go up t- to the market and have a look to see whether, with the bad weather, which was suggested on Wednesday, whether or not there is anything untoward that's happened and that we can deal with. Dean, how do you respond to that? Well, they, they, they need they need trimming back because all right they might may, may provide cover, but even in sunny days, sometimes the market area is 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 overshadowed and it's quite dark. Uh, they they are now getting too big. Uh, the the idea of plane trees uh, and if you uh, I've researched them around the world, they're mainly planted by the sides of roads because they absorb all the dangerous toxins. So maybe at the side of a road you won't get as much, and obviously they don't always affect. Everybody, not everybody, will have will suffer from asthma or hay fever. Dean, can I say, I, I think you might have an argument about um, the asthma problem if that is indeed the case. I don't think you can complain that there's too much shade, can you? Is that yeah, really a big problem for the market? Yeah, you, you need the daylight. The problem is also the trees are getting far too big now. But it just it just proves that, that the neglect of the borough council towards Hatfield to say that no records are collect are kept. Uh, we could also mention. The chalk mines. We had a problem in Hatfield with chalk mines. Well, let's listen. I don't know about that. I don't. I don't want to go off on a tangent, Dean. I want to stay focused on that if we can. Uh, uh, Councillor uh, Dean is saying that there is neglect of Hatfield from the, the council. How do you react to that? Well, I t- uh, that's not the case. Hatfield is not neglected. Um, just to come back on one of his comments, plane trees being beside the road. Of course, Hatfield Market is right beside one of the main um, artery roads in Hatfield. So. There is a, they do have a use in cleaning the in cleaning the air from the pollution emitted from cars and buses and things like that. Um, 
the, tree, the, the, the canopies are lifted on a regular basis. As I said on Wednesday, they were, the canopy was last lifted in June of this year. And also every couple of years, they are cut back so that they then, you know, from, the, from, going, from going outwards towards the buildings. As I say, um, I've asked for one of the um, landscape officers to go up and have a look at them. I think we have to draw a line under what's happened in the past, what has been said, what hasn't been said. I've taken this on board now and we need to move forward on it. Maddie, have we got a date of when this chap's going to go and have a, a little look at the trees? Um, it may be today. Fantastic. Well, I, can't, I can't promise that. Well, hopefully we'll speak to you next week. Councillor Mandy Perkins, thank you very much. Uh, Town Councillor Dean Archer, thank you as well for coming on the air. Uh, I've not been to this market for a long time. Does it affect you? Dean is saying that it affected him years ago. Well, it looks like something is being done in as much as the council is sending someone out, a tree expert, to go and have a look uh, and see if there genuinely is a problem and if there's anything they can do to ease that problem. So I, I, I consider that a minor little success for us there. Uh, on the subject of first ever memory, Graham in Dunstable. My first ever memory was crawling and looking upwards as I was going through my auntie's legs. Oh dear. Uh, Davina says, my first memory is from when I was four. Early one frosty morning, I asked my 11-year-old sister what the frost patterns were on the window. The next thing I knew, my brother was told by my sister to scratch the window outside with the clothes prop, and I was told it was Jack Frost's fingernail. I was scared witless. You would be. Kids are horrible, aren't they? Kids are horrible, but it's, it's quite good fun. Steve is in Barnfield. Good morning, Steve. Hello, morning. Steve, what's your take on this? Uh, the, the college's plan to build on, on this field? Well, it's disgusting, really. I mean, at the end of the day, we need to have a quota in each town. I mean, if there's only certain amount of places for houses and people to work, then you should move to another town. You should move further up north. We've got plenty of space up north, haven't we? Why should, why should people move out of their town? Well, if we haven't got the houses, if, you, if you're living in bed and breakfast and you can go, what, 20 miles further and you can get somewhere to live, then what's wrong with moving... 20 miles further up the road, and if there's a job up there, it's even better, isn't it? But, but, the, but I think unemployment is even worse up north, isn't it? To, to, to a vast generalisation. If you, if you grew up and lived in Luton, why should you move somewhere else? Well, that's, that's life, mate. Life's not perfect. At the end of the day, we're overpopulated anyway. We've got too many people here that... No, we haven't. We've got too many people here. We've got too many immigrants. We no, got, what, sorry? We've got too many immigrants coming in. Well, how, how many immigrants are coming in each year, Steve? Uh, like, too many for my life, and they're taking work and taking money off my... taking food off of my plate. And well, they're, so not, they're not, not taking food off your plate. Steve, how many immigrants are coming in each year, do you oh, think? Oh, no, thousands. Perhaps they're having kids with being ethnic cleansed by birth. Look right. at birth. Steve, uh, Steve I'm going to let you go again, because you keep coming on. This is the second time you've come on. We're not being ethnically cleansed. You know, I in another life, I would happily take Steve on as an opponent and would, would you know, destroy his arguments. But uh, I just... Uh, I just can't be bothered. And if you're going to come on and say there are too many immigrants coming in, well, then, then have figures. If you don't know, you, you, you don't know, Steve. And to, to bandy around phrases like ethnic cleansing, which I hope you would understand many people would be very offended and very upset by, um, you know, such a, a cavalier use of that phrase. Because it's not a nice thing. I'm, I'm really sorry, Steve. I'm, I'm going to have to go. I'm more than happy, you know, if, if I ever come back at any point to, to discuss and argue with you. But you just need to stop speaking cliches and just rein it in a little bit. Because some of the, your, your, you know, some of your, your terms, I just think might upset people unnecessarily. 
Uh, it's 8.45. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. 8.46, it's Friday the 3rd of August. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The Royal Mail are issuing another gold medal stamp today, featuring Bedford's Etienne Stott following his victory in yesterday's Olympic canoe slalom at the Lee Valley Centre in Hertfordshire. Royal Bank of Scotland has announced half-yearly losses of £1.5 billion. RBS, which is 82% owned by the taxpayer, has set aside £125 million to compensate customers affected by the computer system's failure in June. In sport, Milton Keynes Dons play their first home pre-season friendly this evening as they host Premier League side Norwich at Stadium MK. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks, some bright or sunny intervals, but rather cloudy at times with the chance of scattered showers. Top temperature, 22 degrees Celsius. Coming up, we've been hearing your thoughts this morning on the best gigs you've been to and also your earliest memories. We'll get some of those next. And at nine o'clock, JVS is here with the phone-in. He wants to hear from you. Have you become addicted to the Olympics? So there's a story in one of the papers that some people are, uh, have a condition that allows them to remember every day of their lives. Oh, I can't think of anything worse. I like the fact that I have to... It takes me five minutes to remember what I did last week. It's, it's, it's charming, I think. Uh, so we've been asking, what is your earliest memory? Uh, Rita is in Barton. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, Ian. Nice to speak to you at last. Nice to speak to you at last. I've been waiting for your call. Oh. What's your earliest memory, Rita? Well, it's funny. I, used to, I had an auntie that lived in London, and we used to be up there quite a lot, my mother and I, because she was widowed. And I also remember, I must have been about six years old, and it was the uh, King... George the Sixth uh, coronation. Oh, okay. And of course, there was crowds and crowds of people, and I always remember I was so tiny, and I started to cry because I couldn't see anything. Oh and, dear! <laughs> and this big, tall ple- a London policeman—it couldn't happen now—picked me up, put me on his shoulders. And we went to the front of the queue, and I've, I've never forgotten it in my life because the cars went by and there was waving to the uh, two little princesses, and it was something that stands out in your memory, doesn't it? You're right, Rachel. I don't think a policeman could pick you up and put him on his shoulders not, now. Well, no, it would be, well, would be, not, would be slightly <laughs> inappropriate. Oh, you mean um, another child? Sorry. Um, no, I'm saying you couldn't do that now. No. You know, not with the security and everything. Yeah. But when I think about it, it was, it was such a marvellous. And also being in, I uh, went to uh, Great Ormond Street and had my annoids out. Oh, wow. Okay. And I can remember walking down the corridor. Yeah. Uh, in those days, so you just walked down and got onto the uh, operating table. What? And that sticks out in my... Oh, does that make you feel bad? <laughs> <laughs> you have got the best laugh in the world. Even better than Jonathan Vernon Smith's oh, laugh, re- laugh, Rita. Oh, I know Jonathan. <laughs> yes, we all know Jonathan, or at least we think we do. Rita, listen, thank you very much. I'm glad you managed to give me a call. And uh, just before the end, excellent stuff. Rita in Barton with her first memories. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on at nine o'clock uh, and is a, a, an absolute cracking listen. I've been, I, I Facebooked as I was on here today, so we may have some new listeners. Stick around after nine. Uh, you will enjoy it, I promise. Now, this morning I've been asking you for the best gig that you've ever been to. Up there with the best you've seen are Status Quo, Simon and Garfunkel and James Brown. Well, Justin Dealey has been out with his shirt open to find out your best gig. Justin's on the line. Good morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. What's your, what's the best gig you've ever been to? I bet you've been to some corkers, haven't oh, you? Oh, yes. Uh, the Smash Hits Poll Winners Party. That was great. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. <laughs> um, I've been to see uh, the Rolling Stones, Elton John, but uh, for me, the best would have to be Oasis. That was in 2002. And that was at the Watford Coliseum. It was part of this uh, anniversary tour they were doing. They were doing at a number of small venues. There was hardly anybody there. They deliberately under
undersold the venue. Wow. I was working in the music business at the time, got some tickets, and I have to say, it was incredible, because I saw them at Nebworth, too many people there. Yeah, yeah. I saw them at Watford, hardly anybody there, and it was just incredible. Absolutely these, incredible. These gigs where big bands play in tiny venues, it, it's always very oh. exciting. Well, you, um, uh, I'm guessing that because you worked in the music business, most of these tickets were free? Yes. Yeah, good lad. <laughs> that always makes a concert much more enjoyable. Oh, yes, How right. was, uh, you went to Madonna the other night, you were telling us. How did yeah, that go? Yeah, it was uh, very good, actually. Yeah, it was at Hyde Park again, big outdoor venue. Uh, my thanks to Carol, who gave me tickets for that. It was a more great freebies. night. <laughs> yeah, more freebies. <laughs> but, uh, Dear Daily Mail. It was, it was terrific, actually. Now, I have been uh, to Toddington. I'm, I'm back in Luton right now, but earlier on, I went to Toddington Services, and I was talking to people about their memories of their best ever concert, and here's what they had to say. Now, Adam, for yourself, two gigs stand out. Tell us about those two gigs. Uh, the first one's got to be Michael Jackson at Wembley in the 80s. It's just uh, out of this world. Mm. And the other one's got to be Bon Jovi at Manchester City Stadium. Another brilliant night. Absolutely enjoyed it. See, Bon Jovi, love their music, not too fussed. But Michael Jackson, I hate you for that, Adam. That must have been <laughs> one of the greatest nights of your life. It, it was just... It was just buzzing all night. It was just an absolute brilliant, brilliant evening. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Going home, just didn't come down <laughs> for a, a good couple of weeks afterwards. And I bet the next day you were in the kitchen doing the moonwalk, practising the moonwalk? Back to work next day. <laughs> winding everybody up, telling them what I've been up to the yeah, weekend. Yeah. The highs and the lows of work the next day. Yeah, very much so. Especially when you have to get up at silly o'clock in the morning. Well, I'm now with a couple of hardcore bikers in their leather this morning. Nelly, welcome to the programme. The greatest gig of all time. What would that be for you? Um, I think that one would be Black Sabbath reunion because I've always been into Black Sabbath from being a teenager. It obviously was my pin-up, so that was a big gig for me. Lovely stuff. And uh, Wiz, welcome to the show as well. For you, the number one gig? Uh, I think it'd have to be Led Zeppelin at Nebworth, 1979. I'd just left school and that was it, sort of out on your own in the world and it was great, probably the best gig I've ever been to. Well here's Howard, Howard you've got some incredible stories, you were a steward at Wembley, so you've seen so many concerts, so many legends but which one stands out as being the number one the best? I think firstly because the first one I went to was Wham this is very embarrassing but uh, it was uh, fantastic but I've seen the greats like Rolling Stones and uh, Rod Stewart, a Queen's concert and they've all been so good in their way mm. but uh, I suppose the one that sticks out is a wham. <laughs> I don't tell my friends. Now, that, that must have been a tough job for you, being a steward at Wembley, thousands of young, attractive women, seeing them to their seats. That must have been tough for you, Howard. It was tough. I'm just about getting over it now, and it was years ago. <sighs> Where did that last question come from? Oh, I just thought I'd put it in there. Now, Ian, a, a slight gear change yes. here. So, talking about concerts there, I, I'm back in Luton, and people have been banging on the radio car saying, where's Godiva? Where's Godiva? Yes. Uh, we've been talking about this this week. Uh, this, of course, is the Lady Godiva, the eight-foot puppet, which is powered by 100 cyclists. It's I all think part this of the, sounds wonderful. It's a brilliant story. Yeah. It's all part of the Cultural Olympiad. It started in Coventry last weekend, and it's going all the way to London. A couple of very brief questions here to Julie McKeever. Julie, welcome to the programme. You are from Immediate Care Medical. You are following Lady Godiva all the way to London. And the route today is in Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire. Tell us more about that. 
it's from um, Luton to Hatfield and it will pass all the villages all the way on. I just want all the people to come out and support us. It's a great course. And how's it been received so far? It's absolutely fantastic. The children are loving it. The people are loving it. It's a great piece of engineering. Brilliant stuff. Have a great day. Thank you very much indeed. There you go. Julie McKeever there joining us live on the radio. Lady Godiva then, this eight-foot puppet, uh, back in Bedfordshire today in Luton. I'm on the London Road. Everyone's banging on the radio car. Where is it? It's on its way and it will then go all the way to Hatfield. So it's it's another great local story. Things like that are brilliant to take kids to because kids are giant puppets. Three, (laughs) four-year-olds are going to either be terrified or love it. Either way, you're going to get a reaction out of them. Absolutely. I've seen some of the images already this week. Absolutely superb. Come out today. Don't miss this opportunity. Come and see Lady Godiva. Uh, Justin, listen, thank you very much. My last day. Thank you for being so nice and making me feel so welcome. It's a pleasure. Ta-ta. There we go. Justin Dealey. Excellent stuff. Uh, Marion has just texted in to say her best gig was Fleetwood Mac ten years ago in Earl's Court. I've seen Fleetwood Mac. They're good. They're back together with Christine McVie. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And Daniel and Watford says Elton John was his best. Now, there were celebrations in three counties uh, yesterday as Bedford's Etienne Stott and partner Tim Bailey won gold at the Lee Valley White Water Centre in Hertfordshire. Well, it's going to be on a stamp. How exciting is that? Imagine being on a stamp. Royal Mail have decided to put them on a stamp and you can buy them as of lunchtime today. It's to recognise Etienne and Tim's fantastic achievement. James Eady is from the Royal Mail. Good morning, James. Good morning. We can buy the stamps from today, is that right? That's right, from the Putnam Street Post Office in Library Walk. They'll be available from around lunchtime, um, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, and then, uh, so with the stamps, we've uh, distributed them to 500 post offices across the UK overnight, and um, they'll be available in another 4,700 later in the week. Who decides what goes on stamps? Is there like sort of a stamp czar who, who says yes, no, yes? How does it work? Well, we've worked very closely with LOCOG on this initiative because it, it is a major programme. Every time uh, a Team GB member wins a gold medal stamp, we swing into action to um, design the stamp, uh, get it printed and get it distributed through the post office network. And Basically, what happens is within minutes of uh, the gold medal win, we get a selection of images from Getty Images, which is the official photographer for the Olympics, and we choose which we feel best reflects the uh, the winning moment to put on the stamp, and we, we get low-cog approval, and then we set about printing that in just a matter of hours. Incredible. So, and, and today, this is this I, I find very odd. You're painting the post box in St Paul's Square gold. Tell me about that. That's right. That's happening this morning. That, that's uh, something Royal Mail wanted to do again for every Team GB winner um, to paint a post box in their hometown to just you know, further celebrate their great achievements. And I watched the canoeing last night, and it was a fantastic achievement. And um, you know, they can be very proud of themselves. The UK can, as well as clearly the people of Bedford. And, and, and finally, uh, uh, James, can I have my picture on a stamp, please? Uh, if you win a gold medal, oh, um, <laughs> you certainly can. But we do have other products which enable individuals, if they're celebrating Ooh. births, uh, marriages, uh, uh, you know, different family occasions, where actually they can put their own image alongside a stamp. It's called our Smiler product. But is it, is, is, what, and then you can put that on a letter? Yes. The show's finishing early as we all dash down to the post office. James, uh, listen, thank you so much for that. Suddenly I'm excited. That's James Eady uh, from the Royal Mail celebrating um, Etienne and Tim's uh, achievement in the Olympics and the fact that they're going to have a stamp. I did not know that. So you're not on the stamp, but you're next to it. 
Ooh, come on. Oh, I'm, I'm excited by that. I'm rubbing my hands in anticipation and glee because that's exactly the kind of uh, silly thing that I like. <laughs> I like to spend my time doing is getting pictures of me and making them into stickers and putting them onto envelopes. There we go. That's it. That's uh, the end of my run. It means I don't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning anymore. Although I was up at half five this morning, I couldn't sleep. And I was up at half past five in the morning. Imagine this, watching Big Brother. That's what my life <laughs> has become. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's it, dear listener. Next week, Helen Lee will be in doing the breakfast show, so do stick around for that. Should be a fantastic listen. Thank you very much to um, Kelly and Emma for helping me out and making me sound half decent. Thank you for welcoming me with open arms uh, and stick around because after nine o'clock, it's the excellent Jonathan Vernon Smith. Getting beds, hearts, and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS show. It's Friday morning. I'm Jonathan Vernon Smith.